So wait, when it fades down, that means the show is happening. So I guess that means I'm doing a show now, huh? That means this is the best show. Well, this show will start in, is it, is it on now? Yes. Okay, great. I'm so glad you uh, told me that because I was about to do one of those uh, face in the crowd moments. Best show audience, stupid. Everybody's an idiot. Are you kidding? They're all morons. That mic was live. What? Anytime there's a mic, you should make sure you're not saying something that you, uh, you don't want someone to hear. Cause microphones have a sneaky way of capturing that sound and potentially making it so other people can hear it. Be careful, everybody. One thing you don't have to be careful with, though, is the best show. As we're back again, here we are. Look at us. December 2020. Closing out the greatest year in the history of Earth. We're all doing it together. No. That was a pretty bad year, right? Good year, bad year, whatever. I'm going to say this. I found out last week, this dudio, who's one of the producers on the show, he was watching me the whole time while I'm doing the show. Do you believe that? Wrap your head around that. Guy's watching me from Zoom whole time. No idea. It's like, Hey man, I was watching you on Zoom. I caught, I caught some of that Zoom action. You're sitting there. So you're scratching your chin a whole lot. Like, yeah. It's like, just saying. <laughs> so I didn't know. I, I didn't know I was on Zoom. This guy's watching me the whole time. I mean, honestly, like, we're, we're watching you right now. Like hider in the house. It was like hider in the house or, 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 uh, or, uh, that, that, that Brian Cranston movie where he, he, he hid in his, uh, garage and his family was like, he's gone. Nobody knows where he is. He was watching everyone from the garage. Boy, that's a great movie. That was a good one. How many Oscars did that win? Well, I'm going to tell you tonight we win some Oscars. That's right. The best show is going to win a bleeping Oscar. You know why? Because we got a great show for you tonight. Tonight we, we're going to do some, what is it? Sequel mania? Sequel mania. And what is sequel mania? Simple. You call up with a movie or a TV show and we'll figure out what we, how you'd reboot it or sequelize it or do whatever to it. We'll figure it out for any, property but don't call with like undoable ones that are like gonna be like sensitive don't do that don't call go to schindler's list don't do that's not the spirit of the thing let's have it's a fun show we're just here to have fun if this was a target we're in the toy aisle we're in the toy aisle 
and the toy store and the, the, the target of life best shows a toy aisle. Maybe housewares also. But when it comes to housewares, not even like the, be like the, 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 uh, the, the, you go to the housewares, it'd be like the toilet, uh, scrubber section. That's it. Toy aisle, maybe housewares. Also, perhaps the snack aisle where they have their own, uh, uh, in, in, in-house brand of, uh, trail mix. That one little spot right off the, right off the corner of the aisle. Target loves their trail mix. And then they're like, we got a one called monster. And then there's one called peanut butter monster. People really hiking, eating that stuff. Can you imagine you're hiking around? Get a stomach ache around the woods. Eating trail mix. We're on the trail. We're hiking. I need a little bit of energy. Let me eat this bag of M&Ms with some raisins. It's basically what you're eating. Yeah, how'd your hike go? Eh, well, I was going pretty good. Then I uh, felt like I needed a little burst of energy. So I had uh, some trail mix. And then I had to sit down on a log and hold my stomach. And then the ranger found me. It was humiliating. But other than that, the hike was outstanding. And we also have on the show tonight, Meryl Marco. This is a comedy legend. She's done so many bleeping things. You wouldn't even you wrap your head around you. You look, you've done a fraction of what she's done. On her worst day, she's done ten times as much as you. She's got a new book called We Saw Scenery, The Early Diaries of Meryl Marco, and we're going to talk to her about that and more. But now, theme. Jersey, back again. 
the best show. What's up, everybody? How are you here on this Tuesday night? My name is Tom. I'm the host of the best show as per usual, and we've got a great show for you tonight. And yeah, man, sequelize it. No, not sequelize it. Sequel mania. Got that coming up. Meryl Marco coming up. One thing we just heard from Gene Clark, his uh, hit single, uh, Los Angeles. He's uh, one of the all-time greats and one of the people that overcame the uh, the two first name uh, uh, scenario where they're both relatively uh, rough first names. Faded on out. Yeah, the, it's relatively uh, uh, hard to navigate if your name's Gene or your name is Clark. But you got Gene and Clark. Yeah, that's uh, that's a tricky one. But um, he did it. Clark Gene would be would he be as successful if his name was Clark Gene? I want to do, we did this uh, probably about 10 years ago on the show, and that's how long we've been doing the show. I see all these newcomers with their, their podcasts, and suddenly you find out that, that the dad on the Wonder Years has a podcast, and then you, you find out that everybody's got one, and they all are blabbing away. Used to be, used to be a little more special. Till every half wit and dunce uh, decided that I could do that. Can you? You can really? I don't know. I didn't even listen. I can't even listen to these shows no more. Because it's 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 like a it's a it's it's like a hobby now. It's like it's like it's like uh, uh, fox hunting or 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 fencing, some sort of. Well, not either of those things, actually. Why would I say that? No, it's a kind of thing. Everybody thinks they can do it. But about 10 years ago, we did a topic uh, where it was trying to figure out if you took different people's names and altered them just a teeny tiny bit, would the person still seem... Uh, uh, would they still be the same? Would you still look at like if it was like, like Jimi Hendrix became Jim Hendrix? It's different, right? We should do that again. It's a fun topic. So many fun topics. And see, that's the kind of thing that these other people can't come. The dad on Wonder Years is not going to come up with that. Tell you, if that guy does actually do a podcast, I'm going to throw up the dad on the wonder years. Who's got the most egregious podcast? Uh, who's, who's the, who's the biggest, uh, who's the biggest carpet bagger in the biz, Brett? Come on, Brett, well, give me a name. You know, you got a, uh, there was that one this year that was, uh, 
Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes all together. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, that, that, come on, guys. That's a little, that feels yeah. like too much. No, I, it's uh, all those guys. And those guys all seem perfectly fine. They yeah. seem like nice guys. And Sean Hayes actually, not only, you'd think with a name like Sean Hayes, he, it's actually the Hollywood handbook is Sean and Hayes and Sean Hayes. That's, that's his strongest connection to podcasting is that he brings to mind the two hosts of Hollywood handbook. Um, but God bless them. Those guys are fine. I'm sure. I think. I don't know. Yeah, they're fine. I know well. Well, and that's a nice guy. But you know what? You'd see me doing, you'd see me crossing the street, putting on a funny hat and playing a character. Maybe it's high time. Maybe it's high time I start acting, huh? Huh, actors talking into a microphone. Maybe it's high time I start acting. What are you going to do then? I start acting. Well, I could act. Oh, boy, I bet you I could act. Yeah, look out. Yeah. I saw him go that way. I saw where the part like that. I need to commandeer your car. Yes, officer. Like, that'll be me. Yes, officer. Then, then we'll get a little, uh, we'll, we'll grow out, uh, the, 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 the scope a little bit. That'll be 250. Diet Dr. Pepper and a candy bar. 399. Then, uh, then we'll get to that. I'll start nailing that down. Then I just need a scene where I'm just like, now, what's the next scene? Uh, a customer in a diner or something. Excuse me. These eggs are cold. I can't eat this. Then I get above that, the, above the five, because it's five and under. Five lines are under. I get over five with a good diner scene. Then what? Then next thing you know, I'm on stage. Alas, poor. Someone, I knew him well. Then I'm just doing the, the bard on stage next. Yeah. Then these podcasters, they'll be, oh, what happened? I got my job's gone. Yeah. Podcaster took it. He's acting up a storm. He's taking your gigs. Turnabout shall be fair play. On a serious note, I would like to mention that uh, there is someone in New York, uh, the friend of a lot of people who know the show, Sam Jane, J-A-Y-N-E is his last name, the front man of the band Love is Laughter, he's missing, and you should... Check it out on, on, uh, on social media. I think if you just search Sam Jane, last name J-A-Y-N-E, you can, uh, get some information on it. And if you have any knowledge about it, that's worth checking out. Uh, a lot of people really care about him and love him and are hoping he's okay. So if you, uh, 
if you can check out the information. I guess it's Chevy Tahoe is something that, uh, that people are trying to locate than the authorities are trying to locate. So yes, that's, if you're in New York, that's what it's, please check it out and see if you have any, any insight potentially. Yeah. So hopefully he's okay. So let's start the show. Pat, we got any calls? Full phones. Give me a good, give me a good one. Well, give me one that's going to start us off just like, and it's going to be like, now we're, now we're cooking. Best show. Hey, this is Mike in Minneapolis. Mike in Minneapolis. What's up, Mike? Uh, not much. I had one for the topic. The topic being sequel mania. Yes. What do you got for me, Mike? And how are you, by the way? How are things in Minneapolis? Uh, well, it's getting colder, working from home, uh, growing my hair out and getting weird. I don't know. And what is work for you? What, what, what does work look like? Uh, I do coding, medical coding for a hospital. Okay. Very Tap, 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 right? Tap, tap, tap. That's right. Looking at one monitor, looking at another monitor. And are you listening to things while you do it? Are you able to multitask with that? Can you play music or? Uh, I do. Uh, I listen to podcasts and music at various times, not simultaneously. Sure. Now, what's a good podcast you like to listen to? Well, Double Threat's a good one. There you go. That was the right answer. I was, that was a trick question. <laughs> okay. So Double Threat. What else? What other ones that aren't ones that I'm involved in? Uh, I've been catching up on old episodes of the flagrant ones recently. Of the what now? The flagrant ones. Oh, the flagrant ones. That's the one that, uh, Hayes, Hayes and Sean do the basketball one with, uh, Carl Tart. That is a great show. It is. And as for music, I've been listening to the new Neil Young archives. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, is, is amazing. That it, I'm, uh, uh, I'm building up to it. I'm not ready yet. Truly not ready yet. Right. What have you been listening to? Lot of, uh, a lot of Velvet Underground lately. And then I tweeted this thing where I was like, who's the best American band? And then I think it's Velvet Underground. And then people were like, well, who do you think? And I didn't put any judgment on it. I put no judgment on it. I wasn't saying like, don't say, don't say Blink 182 because you look stupid. I didn't say anything like that. <laughs> so then all these people giving me the business back. Oh, the great American rock band with, uh, with John Cale, the Welsh John Cale. Yeah, I, I start the band in Wales. It's a New York band. <laughs> and then he got bounced halfway through the run and they still made two more classics without him. Right. People think I don't know. Oh, like I see some, I see some of the, some of the, uh, the actuallys, uh, actually, uh, John Cale is Welsh. Is not, uh, not American. It's like, yeah, last time I checked, that's a New York band that happened to have a dude who'd been living in New York for, for years at that point in it. That's New York. 
Oh, Mike. It'd be like disqualifying the talking heads because David Burns Scottish. Well, they should disqualify talking. First of all, it's, it's talking heads, <laughs> not the talking heads. Um, I, I, my apologies. But they're also, look, talking heads, people think I hate talking heads. I don't hate them. I like them very much. I think they're great. Do I think they're the best? No, I don't. But I think, I think they, I say this to all these people. Oh, talking heads are my favorite band ever. Where, where have you been the last 30 years? <laughs> David Burns playing his thing, you know, his music in a phone booth. <laughs> And then now all of a sudden everybody's, oh, oh, I always love talking heads. Where were you? Were you at the show in Red Bank, New Jersey that he filmed for a DVD like 30 years ago? I was not. No, I was not there 30 years ago in Red Bank. <laughs> so, okay, what do you got for me, Mike? Give me something good. All right. Well, since... Uh, sadly, the Kardashians have announced that they're ending uh, their television show. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking it's it's time for them to do their head movie. That yes, that's a good point. The way the monkeys did head the the film that destroyed the franchise, right? And yeah. so because you know because they all I. I've, I've only seen the Kardashians when my teenage son has been watching it, but presumably they all have different sort of personalities that come into conflict. So if they do their head, then throughout the movie, they can all sort of swap personalities, yes. you know, in each scene, the way that the monkeys did. And instead of the, uh, the execution of the, the Viet Cong soldier, I'm sure there's plenty of scenes of unrest and everything from this past summer that can be cut in jarringly at different times. <laughs> yes, make it of the age is what you're saying. Make it timely. Yes. Right. Oh, no. No. I think that's the way to go. If, key, if it's time to reboot keeping up with the Kardashians, I think they need, before they could ever consider that, they need to blow it up and then start over again. And right. then they can have like a fun, they can have like a fun, uh, nostalgic thing afterwards, but they need to burn the whole thing to the ground. Right. And then people would say, Kardashians just made some art. Right. Mike. And you can even get, you okay. know, because, because again, they're swapping you know, they're swapping their own roles, you know, you, they could comment on the Pepsi commercial, you know, mm-hmm. juxtaposed with the scenes of the unrest. And then they could, they could even bring Trump into it, you know, meeting him in the Oval Office to try to get people, uh, you know, pardoned or whatever. And, uh, and, uh, you know, so there'd be a lot of, lot of star power. <laughs> I think Mr. Trump would be, uh, I always love when they say the right now. We've talked about this before. It never, it never stops being fascinating to me when people are so, so weirdly deferential. Like where they like where they talk about the guy that owns the the Patriots, Robert Kraft. They're like, Mister Kraft said, Mister Kraft, Mister Kraft. <laughs> 
Why are you so like? What is this guy? Some uh, the guy. The guy's a rich guy. He's got a pile of money. Hi, everybody. Tim Heidecker here. We have a brand new office hours that just came out of the oven. We've got legendary psych rocker Ty Siegel, and Doug is back from down under. Goodbye. Goodbye. And his mommy came with him. Mommy and Gary Lusenhop are here too. Alicia let me know that she finished the White Album. Has thoughts on that. So much more on this legendary episode of Office Hours. Find us on your podcast app of choice, or watch us on YouTube at youtube.com/slash/officehourslive. Who are the animals? Because I don't smell them. He also uh, he's gay guy. He got caught getting the old <laughs> right. <laughs> so he uh he uh yeah but there's a well mr trump says mr trump it's like this guy's the biggest the 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 most crass gross human alive and people like this respectful ter- uh terms to just uh, to to identify him mr trump <laughs> i do like don jr though i think he's got something <laughs> I tell you, Forever Dog signs any Trump to a podcast. I don't know what I'll do. <clears throat> Be the first one on it. Wait, that is what I would do? <laughs> no, no, no. The first one, they'll have some guest on. Be Ted Nugent will be on. Maybe, so, maybe Conan will get one of them on his podcast and then they can be on Earwolf. Yeah, I might, I might take, uh, that's the other one, Conan. Uh, Bre- Brett pointed out that one with the uh, the guy the the Arrested Development uh, crew. They're doing their show. The Conan one, God love him. He's always been nice to me. Nice guy. One a comedy 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 favorite of mine for a long long time. But this this guy would this guy would leave podcasts in a second if I if if it would like. Yeah, if you told him that the T, they could expand out the TV show. If he and he never has to do a podcast again, he's gone. He's gone. He'll never talk into. He'll never. He'll never. He'll never. He'll never boot up a H six ever again. <laughs> now that's what I says. And look, they all can do it. Best show's been here before him. We'll probably be here there after them. They'll all come and go and I'll be talking to the mic, the mush mouth, the way, uh, the old, old folk get, right? We hear those dentures clattering. <laughs> and occasionally falling onto the table. Yeah. Well, Mike, I hope you're doing great and thank you for the call. You got things. Yeah, started right. two more people to the cast. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh yeah, go ahead. Go. Go. I, I was thinking Catherine Bigelow could direct. Yeah, you know, I like it. that. And then, uh, uh, you know, that Congress guy from Texas, Dan Crenshaw, that just made his own little movie trailer campaign commercial. He could be a uh, one of the villains. Yeah, he seemed cool, and it's another another person that that Saturday Night Live awesomely gave airtime to. It's like. <laughs> Who's next? Who's next for uh, Saturday Night? Paul Pot? They gonna get gonna get him at the update desk? <laughs> okay, well, those are good suggestions, Mike. 
Well, thank you, Tom. I wish you all the best. And also you. Peace be with you. Is he gone? He's gone. Oh. Oh. So we got a good call from Mike there. Nice guy. So I've been listening to this Andy Warhol, uh, audio book, right? This, uh, thing. This Andy Warhol audio book where he's, uh, it's like about, it's a biography. And thank, it's, how long is it? How many hours do you think it is? Everybody guess who's on, how many hours they think this, this audio book is. Jason? 23. 23. Pat? Hold on, I'm screening the call. Oh, guys working. <laughs> Don't mess with them. Brat, you have an idea? Uh, I'll go a little higher. I'll say this is a uh, 45 hour audio book. Oh. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm just going to say what it is. Yeah, it's like 44 hours long. Pat, uh, Brett just, uh, Brett was it 44? Kid, Sorry, 44. No, Pat back. got it. Oh, Pat, you got it. <laughs> you hey. did it. Perfect. Right. Um, <laughs> no, it's, uh, and this guy reads, I'll say this. First of all, thankfully, the book starts, it doesn't start with his great grandparents, which is so many of these biographies. It just starts like the year's 1844. And it's like, I don't care. When does he do the, the cans? The can, right? The cans. Where are the cans? And then, uh, so, so thankfully it starts with the, with him uh, and not with his great, great, great grandfather. Um, that's a relief. The, uh, the, 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 the reader of the audio book has a certain tendency to, uh, when, when they want to interpret something that Andy said, they do this voice that sounds kind of like the, uh, kind of like the dice voice when he's doing the the wife voice where he'll be like he'll be like Andy was screen printing instead of painting which was very controversial for the high art world then he's like I thought I would just screen printed things cause that's the way you could make more of them it's like it's Andrew Dice Clay's wife. But it's very, it's an interesting, it's an interesting, uh, audio book. I'm enjoying it. He's, uh, I will say this. And this is a marketing, uh, a marketing faux pas. He did those Campbell soup cans, right? The soup cans and, um, the people over at Chunky really missed an uh, opportunity to poach him for a commercial. Right? If they were just like, he's like, and I'm just going to do the way the guy does the voice on the audiobook. He's like, it's me, Andy Warhol. I, everybody knows me for soup cans of a, for a certain brand of soup cans, but I decided I like junky. 
and then he pulls a sheet off of a canvas and unveils a chunky soup can. And then there's a line outside the door at the grocery store. People can't get enough chunky soup. They really missed an opportunity there. Uh, you know, the uh, acting thing I said I could do, I think I could do the acting thing. Art would be a little more difficult, I believe. I think art would be a little trickier. I could probably do art the way, uh, what's a drip man did him. What's that guy's name? Drip man? Anyone? Jackson Pollock? Jackson Pollock, yes. The way drip, I call him drip man. Cause basically, this is how this guy's deal worked. He goes, he buys a canvas. Goes to the paint store, says, give me one can of everything. Starts dumping it all over the canvas. And then they hand him a million dollars. It's a pretty sweet deal. I could probably do like a drip man thing. What's his name again? Jackson Pollock. Jackson Pollock. Okay. I'm going to still call him drip man. Um, I could do, I could do that. I remember one time I went to this, this museum, right? And then, um, there were all these, this art expert was in front of this, uh, this mounted, uh, water fountain in the wall. He's saying, well, you'll notice the, the purpose behind this is that it's a comment on, uh, it's a comment on, on the consumerism of the world and the stupidity of flyover. It was like he was just, it was a real water fountain. He didn't even know it was a water fountain. And a little kid went up and started drinking water from it. And then everybody laughed at him. That's the art world. That didn't happen. Pat, we got anybody got any, any, any lines in particular for me? Let's go with line three. Let's go with line three. Hey, what's going on, Tom? Uh, not a whole lot. Welcome to the best show. To whom am I speaking? Uh, this is Blake from Richmond, Virginia. Your, your name again? Sorry. Uh, Blake from Richmond, Blake. Virginia. Okay. Like Robert Blake, another great two named person. Yeah. Um, since we last spoke, uh, you gave me the business on Uncut Gems and how I wasn't ready uh, to see it. Did you finally get ready? Yeah, I saw it. And did you like it? Yeah, it honestly blew me away. I, uh-huh. I love almost everything about it. Were you scared during parts of it? A little bit, but, um, uh, I guess the, um, like second sequence with the, uh, doctor scene was like one of the funniest sight gags I've seen in a while. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's a masterwork. A, ma- yeah. a masterwork. No, I love it. Um, so I, I got one for the topic. I don't want to clog your tubes up. Okay. No pun intended so, uh, after uh, your uh, uncut gems reference. Yeah. Okay. Um, so for, um, I've got a 
kind of bare bones uh, idea for this uh, sequel, but um, the idea is it's another installment of Albert Brooks's Defending Your Life. Okay. Um, but instead of Albert Brooks, the person who's on trial for their afterlife is um, Wayne Grove from Heat. Now, wait, say that again now. Who's on trial? Um, the character Wayne Grove from Heat. Okay. And so he's got to go through the same, the same thing that, that Albert Brooks went through in defending your life. Yeah. He has, he's going through all the same sort of trials and tribulations and whatnot. But since, uh, since we know, uh, who Wayne Grove is and what, who, uh, what Wayne Grove has done, we ultimately know what's going to end up happening to him. But to see him go through all of the different, like, mini trials and whatnot of the horrible things he's done. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like that would be a pretty funny idea. No, that'd be good. That I, I like that. I like the idea of, of completely subverting what the, so it would be heat two colon defending your life too. Yeah. Right. Heating your life or defending your heat. What should it be? <laughs> I kind I, I kind of like defending your heat a little bit more. <laughs> okay, defending your heat colon heat two slash defending your life too. Yeah, and um, since uh, Rick Torn is uh, unfortunately no longer with us, mm -hmm. I feel like the best uh, substitute for that sort of like trial character, like I guess the afterlife attorney character. Uh, would be Fred Melamed. You like Fred Mel? You're a Melahead. Uh, you're a Medhead. Yeah, I'm, I'm, right? I'm a Cy Abelman man. Yeah, you're a Cy Abelman man. <laughs> no, I like, uh, I like this. You, you gave it some good thought. Get Melamed some work. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He seems like he could be a little bit of a pain, I'm gonna say. Melamed or, uh, Wingro? Well, I guess we know Wingro. Melamed. Melamed. Melamed yeah. seems like he could be exacting. Not that he's a jerk. I could just picture him being just like, Melamed needs to do it the way Melamed does it, you know? And when you don't do it, Melamed, uh, I could picture him being on set and like complaining about like the craft service. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, what, what about a more neutral um, uh, attorney and get, like, Michael Stuhlbarg? Well, you're just going all the way into a serious man now. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm pulling, pulling out all the all the fixtures. Would you say that's your favorite uh, Coen Brothers movie? No, but uh, I, I will say that's, like, slowly crept up the list, like, every single time I watch it. Uh, I still think I still think my favorites are probably... Um, the man who wasn't there in Fargo and no country. Mm -hmm. Okay. You put it at fourth, maybe fourth. Now you're going to go uh, lower than fourth. I would put, I might put a serious man at, at the top two, maybe number one, maybe really? number two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, the, um, the things that kind of like, um, um, keep pushing that up the ladder with me is, um, um, just the, I don't know, existential dread of it. Like, I don't know. <laughs> The, um, it's pretty bleak. Way that, yeah, it's pretty bleak. But uh, I like how there's a sense of humor throughout the whole thing. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All right. You're a good old-fashioned medhead, and I appreciate the call, Blake. Thanks, man. Take care. Bye. Did he call me friend? I like that. Pat, what? Uh, give me another one, please. Yeah, you got it. Hello, best show. People try to put him down. Talking about Darren Poppleton just because he rules this town. Talking about Darren Poppleton. Deplop in the house. Deplop in the house. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Been a long time, right? It has been. And let me just say, for people who might be new to the best show, the guy in the line right now is somebody I've known, longtime friend, and somebody who's a, been a coworker with me over at Consolidated Cardboard for years, Darren Ploppleton. Uh, how you doing, Darren? It's been. I'm good. I'm it's good. been a while. It's been a while since you've been on the show, and I I don't actually. It's been a while at work. Also, I don't think I've seen you at work in weeks. It's it's true, and uh, I don't know. Do you have a couple minutes for me to? Fill you in? Sure, sure. Oh my God, where to begin? Um, look, this is hard to talk about. I'm, I, I'm not proud of this, and you're probably not going to believe it, but um, I was totally swept up in the Trump world for a few weeks, basically until I came to my senses. Really? Yeah. That is, that is so, I would never have, I would never have thought that in a million years. What, what happened? Well, it's the weirdest thing. The day of the, of that four seasons landscaping thing that happened in Philly, mm-hmm. I, I was doing my monthly tasty cake run to Philadelphia. And look, basically I've got a guy in Northeast Philly. I don't know. Let's, um, let's call him, um, how about, um, I don't know, Roy. And this guy, Roy, every couple of months he liberates a, a skid of these super small batch yingling flavored tasty cakes. Super small batch. And, and then he sells them to, you know, to us true connoisseurs throughout the tri-state area. Mm-hmm. Well, Roy, I think I have an idea. Uh, I think I know the Roy you're talking about. Really? He's very, very low key and he doesn't really like to make a big deal about himself. I, I, I can't imagine we're thinking of the same guy. Well, I mean, this guy, this guy is not exactly the most low key guy, but he's, he is a guy who would, would figure out a way to liberate, uh, a skid of snack cakes. Okay, so, so he's usually up to, up to something, is that right? Yeah, he's usually got his fingers in a lot of pies, like well, literally, uh, literally, based, based on what you just said. Yeah, in that case, that is one of the pies he would have his uh, fingers in. That's true. So, all right, so we're doing the transaction, you know, on on the QT, and then this guy Roy, I'm using these air quotes, he gets a call from none other than Rudy Giuliani. Mm-hmm. I swear. And Roy 
they, they chat for a little bit and it gets kind of heated and, you know, so Roy basically recommends holding that, that press conference at Four Seasons Landscaping in Northeast Philly. And, you know, I got nothing else going on. So I, I tag along. Okay. At some point during this whole thing, Rudy has to take a squeege and he goes into one of those porta johns mm-hmm. and he gets, he gets, he gets locked in. And Tom, you know me, you know, and, and through all these weird circumstances, I have been locked in and escaped from an astounding number of porta johns over the years. So basically I, I tell him not to panic and I walk him through the, the steps to get out, you know, and, and there, there are very, very specific steps you take. And, 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 and basically he did get out and he's beyond grateful. And, and, and he says, you know what? We're shorthanded down in DC. We need help. And you're just the guy to help out. So the next thing I know, I'm in a limo heading to Washington DC. Isn't that crazy? That is really weird. Cause you helped, Pop Rudy out of a a locked portage on. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And so, Tom, you know me. I'm I'm basically a good dude, right? I mean, I'm I'm not political, but I do like to think that I'm usually on the right side of things in in that world. But oh my god, I just got caught up in the glamour and the power of it all, and you know, it was just it was intoxicating. Mm-hmm. And and before you know it, I'm in the Oval Office with Trump, Stephen Miller, and Mark Meadows. I, I'm not lying. Wow, really? Yes, and Tom, you're never going to believe this, but those three guys are all massive Best Show fans. What? I swear, they they know all the bits. Stephen Miller loves the soundboard stuff, and, and Trump was doing Gary the Squirrel word for word. And, and it's weird because he really thinks Gary is real. And at one point, he's asking me if I could get Gary's pautograph. He actually called it that. He called it a pautograph. A pautograph. I've never even heard that word. It's kind of brilliant, isn't it? It's pretty good. Yeah, I'll, I give him credit on that. Yes. So at one point during this whole thing, Trump gets a call from Marco Rubio, and I swear he gomps him. <laughs> it was nuts. And then after about half an hour, we're still talking about the best show, and Trump gets really quiet. Uh-huh. And, he, and he puts his head back, and he just starts staring at the ceiling, and he just goes... Wonder whatever became a spike. Really? And yes, and he goes, you know what? Spike really knew showbiz. And then he said, at one point, he was wanting to make Spike the secretary of showbiz until Jared convinced him that that office doesn't really exist. Yeah, yeah. The secretary of showbiz. Yeah, he he would have been good for it too. I think. I I think he would have been good. There would have been a lot more doo-wop, uh in the National Registry, and a lot more horror movies. 
Right. And, and who's the actor he was really into? He, he would have had him over all John, the time. John Wesley Shipp. And what the was guy, again? The guy from full, The Flash. What? I, I can't remember what the was the was the Flash a movie or a show? Well, there was a there was a show that he was on back in like the nineties, I guess, and then there was a they re they brought the Flash back, and John Wesley Ship had a, a did a turn on the new one as well. Oh, I see. Okay, so well, he could have been it. He could have been in there in the Oval. John Wesley Shipp could have been in the Oval Office. Look at that. If if only Spike was named Secretary of Showbiz. I know. I know. And, and so basically it was my connection to you that helped me get in really good with Trump. And, and it was so crazy. He instantly recognized my name when Rudy introduced me to him. Okay. Nuts. And, and I told him at, at one point that, you know, I, I could probably get him on the show, but that was before this big argument that we had that kind of ended it all. Wait, what, what was the big argument? Well, look, first I want to say, I really didn't do all that much when I was down in DC. Basically I, I was tasked with, um, inventorying Trump's collection of impossibly long neckties and giant pants, but that really only took up, like a week to complete to catalog them. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Doing an inventory and just making sure, you know, I, he, he knew exactly how, how many thousands of, of these ties he had. What is his longest tie? Um, I measured it. It is, uh, God, let me see if I can remember. It was 13 feet, 13 feet. Cause every that, once in a while he has a tie that is, what, say that again? That's just from the knot uh, down. So there's a whole, oh, my God. Because once in a while he'll wear a tie where you're like, that tie is so long. Right. But that does, that's not one of that. There's I have never seen him wear a tie that would be 13 feet from the knot down. I know. He calls the ones you described shorties. Okay. Yeah, he calls them shorties. <laughs> um, yeah, and and the thirteen foot, you know, of course, is a longy. Okay. Yeah. So that's his longest tie. That's his longest tie, right? And so after I was I was done inventorying that stuff, the rest of the time, basically, I was organizing his wacky package collection. He he collects. No. Yes. Yes. Trump Trump he, collects wacky packages. He does. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. And that's, and that's where the argument began. Okay. What was the argument? Basically, he wanted me to hold a press conference announcing that it was official that Donald Trump was now the owner of the world's largest collection of wacky packages. And I just couldn't do it because mm-hmm. everybody knows you have the biggest collection. Yeah. Um, I would, I would put my wacky packages collection up against anybody's. It's true. It's true. And, yeah. and you know, I, I told him, I told him that and he was like, no, you got to do it. And I, and I, I stood my ground and, you know, sure. You and I have had our ups and downs over, over the, 
over the decades, including those two years where we didn't speak because you thought I tried to kill you with my son's remote control helicopter. But we're practically family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that, I, outside of a couple moments, there's well, family might be strong, but there's there's some there's some there's a there's a connection there. Yes, absolutely. And, and so you know, I, I wouldn't do it and. You know, it was one of those things. Did I quit or was I fired? You could you could say both. And so, basically, that that was the end of my of my adventures in the in the Capitol. And thankfully, old man Dalrymple didn't even know I was gone from work. Really, our boss over at Consolidated Cardboard had no idea. Can I can I be honest with you? Yeah. Look, I know everyone's saying how sharp old man Dalrymple is for 117, but I do think he's starting to fade a little bit. Hmm. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I guess maybe if I'm being completely honest, I can see it. I mean, he's good. I, I've heard he, 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 he actually, he doesn't take that Prevagen stuff. He actually drinks it. Like he, he gets these hot mugs of it. Uh huh. Yeah, rather than in just a medical treatment. Yeah, he's he's pounding it. He, it's like it's it's his beer, I guess. I don't I don't know. But uh, so anyway, you know, back to the same old boring grind. But at least I'm not going to go to jail for anything I I did during the short time I was I was down there in Trump land. Right? You got, you got to see the positive of it. Sure, sure. No, that's that's fair. Hey, have you seen the Frank Zappa documentary? It's new. It's by either, either Bill or Ted. I can't remember who did it. I did see it, yes. I did see the Frank Zappa documentary. I uh, like that. I, I had one little, little thing that I didn't like about it. What was that? There was no, there was no mention in that entire movie of that kid's show that Frank Zappa had in like, I guess it was like the late seventies and it was called, um, condescension station. Do you remember that? Uh, I don't, I, I know it wasn't in the documentary. Uh, he had a kid's show, huh? Yeah. And, and he basically, it, it was kind of like Mr. Rogers, you know, it takes place in this, in this fictional town and, you know, the kids learn things and, Basically, he's he's the mayor of the town, and basically the title pretty much tells you exactly what. Sure. Know, what what happened? You know, he was he he would kind of talk down to the kids and, and you know kind of make fun of them for not knowing what he knew. Sure. Was he? There's he. Uh, was he smoking the entire time? Oh yeah, and and he would try to get the kids to smoke too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and it would. Um, yeah, one thing kids don't tend to gravitate toward is the music of Varese. It's true, yeah, yeah. Kids generally don't uh, respond that that well to the to the the classic the twentieth century classical composer. No, that's your tone. No, rock on. Um, yeah. Yeah, the songs that that I've been really getting into of his are. Uh, Oh my God! Uh, God, my favorites off the top of my head are probably "Lonesome Electric Turkey," uh, "How the Pigs Music Works," um, what else? "Saint Alfonso's Pancake Breakfast." Uh, 
This town is a sealed tuna sandwich, uh, jazz fart, of course. Um, the Duke regains his chops. What else? Uh, the girl wants to fix him some broth. But my favorite is probably Ian Underwood whips it out. Yeah, those are those are all classics. They are, they are. Hey, speaking of classics, this is going to be a new classic. Are you watching this HBO show called Your Honor? It's, it's Brian Cranston. Um, not yet. No, I haven't. I've seen I've seen advertisements for it, but I have not watched it. Oh, rock on! Um, I don't know if I've ever been this nervous watching a TV show. There's so many moments where I just. I had to pause it, you know, because I was so uptight, and I'd go in the other room and do a bunch of push-ups. I'm only on episode two. And you're that, it's that stressful. Oh, my God, I can't stand it. Yeah, I, I don't want to give any spoilers, but, you know, it takes place in New Orleans where pretty much anything goes. Uh-huh. So you, you watch it, and you get stressed out, and then you start doing some push-ups. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Hey, did you see the, the, um, the Bee Gees documentary? Not yet. I know there's a new Bee Gees documentary coming out. I have not seen it. Oh, cool. Rock on. Um, I don't know a lot of that super early stuff other, other than the hits. Mm-hmm. This is a good place to, to start with the early stuff. I know there's one called Spicks and Specs, and I think there's one called like Horizontal. Is that right? Yeah, Horizontal's one. There's, there's one called, uh, is it, is it Odessa? The Bee Gees first is a good one. And I'm blanking out. What is the one album? I think it's called it's Odessa. I, I, I'm not. I'm getting it wrong. I know I'm getting it wrong. Oh, but okay. All right, rock on. Cool. That's cool. Um, what? Um, I'm trying to think. Something else I was going to ask you. I can't remember. Can't remember what it was. Hey, oh, it was about the. Yeah. What is, can I just Darren? A uh, thing that's been happening th- through the last 15 minutes of the of our conversation is you you keep. Sliding in, uh, rock on. I do? Yeah, yeah. You, you said it about six times. Oh, rock on. It, it, it's just this cool thing I'm trying out. You know, I, I think it's time I had a cool catchphrase, you know, like you and get off my phone and get into the hated and, um, keep your hands off of my mozzarella. I don't know if that's one I've said, but that third one, I don't, I think I've ever said that, but. I don't think I ever said keep keep my hands off my keep your hands off my mozzarella. I don't think I ever said as a catchphrase. Ah, oh, rock on. Um, what do you think of my catchphrase? Um, honestly, I think it's a, I think it's a it's a little it's a little contrived. Huh. Well, my landlord says it's cool. Your your landlord likes how you say rock on. He does, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, speaking of that BG documentary, one yeah. of the cool things about it, I, yeah. it's not a spoiler, but they finally name that song. A lot of your callers have been asking about all these years. It, it's the one that goes, um, Oh, girl, bitch, why did you tell me that stuff when you knew I was already upset? It turns out it's this rare B-side, and it's called Love Medicine. I didn't know that. I've never been able to place that song. That is crazy. So the yeah. documentary the documentary 
says that the song, that song is called Love Medicine. Yes, yeah, and I, I, I talked to my landlord about it, and my landlord says that it was left off main course because it was too erotic. Okay, that, yeah, that would, I, I yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have pegged that song as, as being overly erotic, but. I guess um, there's a whole third verse where, like, it, it describes, you know, sexual stuff, so I, I, I don't know. It seems very unlike them, but my landlord says that it's, it's real, so, um, hey, speaking of great songs. Mm-hmm. You played a song on last week's show that was so good. It's maybe the best thing I've ever heard you play on the on the best show. But um, I can't remember the name of it. Do you remember like any of the songs you played last week? What did I play? I played a, a, an OCs song. Uh, I played their version of European Sun by Velvet Underground. I played that last week. I played a Roy Orbison uh, song. I played. Uh, the song The Comedians by Roy Orbison. Those are two I know I played. It's, it's neither of those. This song goes, um, popcorn bowls, popcorn bowls. I sure do miss grandma's popcorn bowls. Yeah, what is that, that? That's a song I've never heard that before until a guy called last week. And talked all about popcorn. He he sang that song to me last week. I had never heard it before. Um, I guess he said it was like something that a, a one of the members of Aerosmith was trying to push to oh, get on. Because my la- my landlord was in Aerosmith. Your land okay okay. Because the guy last week Rick was Dufay. talking about who, who who's the landlord again? Rick Dufay. Yes, the other guy. Yeah, the one of the guys in Aerosmith during one of their uh, one of their off periods, I guess you could say. Interesting. He must own several properties here in Newbridge. I don't know. Very. Oh, that's kind of cool, right? Have a celebrity in town. Yeah, to have uh, a celebrity landlord in town, huh? Rick Dufay. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, are you going to the Consolidated Christmas Party next week? You know, I'm pretty uncomfortable with with that. I just, I just think it's, I think there's, it's the, it's things are a little too, little too intense right now. With, uh, I agree. You know, the all the way things are with with uh, trying to be safe. Yeah, look, I'm all for being cautious, and I'm all for wearing masks. I'm all for social distancing, but I'm lying if I say I'm not tired of old man Dalrymple's extreme PPE. I mean, we we have to be the only business in the Quint Cities that has to deal with this spray shield every morning as we enter the workplace, right? Oh, my God, the spray shield is – I can't – I can't – I can't handle it. I mean, how would you describe that for people? Well, all right, you know how you you go. Um, oh, well, it's straight out of out of that movie Silkwood. Remember when mm-hmm. Meryl Street was was you know she played Karen Silkwood, and they they would they worked at the at the uh, nuclear plant, and they would go through the thing and and get tested to see if they you know if they were radioactive anyway and and there's that one scene where she is radioactive and she has to take this 
spray bath, you know, to, to clean off. Yeah. The morning for us is like that, but we have our clothes on. Yes, it's just that is they need to figure that out. Cause and it's it's it, like it's like being coated in hand sanitizer. Everybody, there's more. There's more. Like I guess there's like just such a mildew feel to things. Because every everybody's clothes are soaking wet, and the heat is cranked all the way up. Yep. So it just creates like this thing. It's like, it's like, it's like laundry that somebody forgot to put in the dryer. Perfect description. Yes. And, and, and we're also probably the only business in town where smoking is allowed inside. So half the people smoke and, mm-hmm. and that gets, gets stuck to it. The, the smoke, it's sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's troubling. Um, it's, oh, it's, and, and what about the the mud bath we got to take on the way out to clean it off? It's so messy. Yeah, and it's it takes so much time. Like two hours. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Oh, you know uh, what? I I talked I I talked to his sons, young and younger man's Dalrymple, and they both said the only reason we're doing any of this is so we don't get old man Dalrymple sick. That doesn't sound fair, does it? No, that's that stinks. That stinks. That's just very, uh, that's weird and, uh, selfish. I, I don't know why he's coming in, honestly. He's 117. He looks yeah. 130, if you ask me. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. No. Yeah, he, 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 um, I don't know. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, look, I, I guess you, you heard the news, right? Um, that Brian Detweiler passed on. Yeah, I, I did hear that. So ends the war, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I, I just can't believe it's been 35 years since Tommy and the Newbridge Dance Warriors ruled the dance floors of the entire Quinn Cities. It seems like yesterday to me. Okay, well, you know, technically, Darren, it was just the Newbridge Dance Warriors is what we were called, not Tommy and the Newbridge Dance Warriors. I know, but, but look... You were the star. You were our leader, and you were the driving force behind the dance warriors. Just own it, okay? Mm, I, I can't. It was a team. It was a team activity. No. Oh my God, man! Those were those were simpler times. You know, we we lived by a, a simple, honest code. You know, number one, you never leave another warrior behind on the dance floor. Number two, nobody dances a slow dance with anyone's ex until a full 14 days after the aforementioned couple's last makeout session. And the big one, the most important one, whoever has the longest rat tail is the leader. And what sucked about that was mine stopped growing halfway down my back, but oh, you were able to wrap yours around your waist. What was it, like three times? It was like a belt. (laughs) It was kind of like Trump's tie in a way. And yeah, it was long. All the time. 
What what colors would you dye? I loved when you would do that. You'd come to school and it'd be like a new color. Oh, I did. I I did every color in the rainbow. I did fuchsia was a big one. Uh, I did this kind of like barf green one time. Uh, uh, orange. So I just did every color you could do. I did blonde. I did everything. It was insane. You were, you were the, just the best. You, you were our natural leader. You know, you could out dance, out party and out, out fight everybody. And it's, it's wild, man. I still look back on those two seasons of the after school TV dance show getting down as the, as the best days of my life. I, I'm sure you think that too, right? The best days of my life? Mm. Yeah. No, I don't. What? I'm sorry. I mean, we we were like rock stars in the Quint Cities. Everyone recognized us from being in their TVs. Like it was the equivalent of, of getting a blue check mark overnight. You know, your your whole world instantly becomes better, and all your problems instantly go away. Hmm. Well, it was it was a time. Darren. Yeah. Oh man. Every nightclub, every nightclub let us in for free. We got to throw out first pitches and do coin tosses at all the big games. I don't think I paid for anything for those entire two years. And I'm not even going to mention all the free clothes Chess King was giving us to wear on the show. I still think I had my pink leg warmers. But, but I'll tell you, you were on a whole different level than us, especially when your Halloween dance murder single came out, The Dance Floor Killer, and it went to the top of all the local radio station playlists. You were ruling the roost. Well, it was a, it was a, uh, it was a hot streak. I'm not going to deny it. Hot if streak? It, you were unstoppable. It felt good. I bet. You were yeah. sleeveless shirted parachute pants wearing golden god. Yeah, don't forget my headband. Insane. And it was always different every day. Yeah. I remember one time uh I was and I'm not trying to brag or anything, but uh Mike Reno from uh Loverboy uh came to check out me me doing the song and he uh he saw that headband and he was just like, you wear it better than I do, bro. I heard he was terrified that, that, um, what's his name? Mike Dean? Was he the, he the guitar player that he was going to replace Reno with you? Paul Dean. Yeah. I think it was Paul, Paul Dean. Paul Dean. Yeah. Mike Dean, of course, is the bassist in Corrosion of Conformity. And there was also uh, the, the drummer for Gang Green, I think, was named Mike Dean. But anyway, go ahead. Of, of course, of course. No. Um, and then Mike Reno ate the headband he was wearing at the time because he just deferred to me. But Paul yeah. Dean Paul Dean hated me. He, he did? Why? Because he thought I was going to replace him in the band. Oh, my God. He That's was terrified. Bad. Hey, I wanted to ask you about this. You had this entourage in addition to us guys in the Dance Warriors who would mm-hmm. follow you everywhere in school. Now, who were those guys? It felt like they might have had mob connections, and they all looked like they were at least 35. 
Yeah. Well, you know, the, the I did have an entourage and things kind of come together. It's one of those things, you know, a guy from this, you know, a guy from that, you turn around and then, uh, and then you, next thing you know, that that's your crew. Everyone wanted to be part of your crew. And, and at one point, you had your own jeweler, jeweler who was following you around. What was his name? Do- Dr. Danny Diamond? Now, he mm-hmm. wasn't a real doctor, was he? He was a doctor, um, but not a, not an MD. I, I don't know what he was a doctor of, but I know he would always, because t- people would call him on that, and he'd be like, no, I'm a, I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. And then. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. No. That's wild. But you know, you, you were so popular that you actually needed a police escort to get from class to class. It was so crazy. I mean, sure, you rode in the sidecar of an off-duty motorcycle cop, which ultimately made you look less cool than if you'd walked, but you stayed safe, which I thought was of the utmost importance. Mm-hmm. It was important, the, the safety first, except for the idea of the, motorcycle in the school. I thought it was weird that like he took the muffler off so that even more exhaust could be shot out. It was very weird. That was actually my idea. I thought it really would uh I thought in a weird a way it would be like hiding in plain sight, but it turned out it didn't work that way. Everybody he, everybody knew that I was there. It just would it was more cuz the thing was so loud and so filthy. And it, the, the motorcycle also had an idling problem, so it would just kind of like go that da, 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 da. you'd like shut the the ignition off. It'd be still, it's still like ba 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 well, I'll tell you, everything got really weird when you were signing autographs for our teachers. I mean, that's that's a very hard power dynamic to alter once it's laid out. And I can't say I was surprised when you ended up switching desks with our science teacher, Mr. Vogelthorpe, and then ultimately made him go to summer school. Yeah, I, I held him back. I was actually threatening to just make him take take the grade over again. But he did have to go to summer school, and I did begrudgingly let him pass. Which was great, because you were, my memory is correct, you were terrible at science. Like, you didn't know anything, which I thought was amazing that you, that the tables got turned on on this guy. Yeah. No, I, 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 I knew nothing about any of it. I was one of the worst students, and I got an A plus 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 when I graduate. A plus, wow. Yeah. Which you can slide the pluses to other classes, which is one of the things about a triple plus is. Oh, interesting. So, so if you only got like a B in another class, you could, you could apply it to that? Yes. Yeah. The, the three, the, the three pluses can be slid onto any other grade. Wow. And two pluses will bump you up a whole, whole letter. Oh my God. Wow. 
see, that's why you were the leader, you know, and, and that's why everyone was, was trying to take you down because of, of course, with the, the great power that you had, uh, you know, came those great challenges to that power. But, you know, um, we, we disposed, we disposed all comers on getting down, you know, the, the best dancers from all over the Quint cities, they suffered defeat at the hands of our feet. <laughs> they, <laughs> yes, <laughs> defeat by defeat. Yes, good one. But, of course, then there was Brian Detweiler and the Eastbridge Prancing Exsanguinators, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Those guys could dance. Oh, boy. You, you got, that's the understatement of the decade. And I'm sure I wasn't alone in this, but that was the only dance crew that had me quaking in my capizios. They were something else. They were. I seriously thought we were going to lose that dance-off in the Kern Coliseum parking lot after that Thompson Twins show. Mm-hmm. No, I was I was worried about that. That was... Oh, uh, and you... What's that? Say how it went. I want to hear, and I want to hear you say it. Hang on, I dropped my wallet. It's too thick. Um, you have a, like a George Costanza wallet, Darren? I, well, it's, yeah, hang on. I, I have to use two hands to pick it up. There we go. Well, that's some kind of wallet. Oh, yeah. It's huge. But, um, you know, we were all resigned to losing that night until you pulled off that quad somersault with the triple backflip and stuck that landing with every hair of your power mullet still in place. I, I still can't believe you did that. Mm-hmm. It was just, I don't even, I did not even have that planned. Right. It just came from the moment. Insane. And you really made Brian and those Eastbridge jerks look like rejects from the Jewel Hallemeyer dancers. But he always maintained that you used a secret mini tramp to get that kind of air. Absolutely not. To his dying day, he could never admit that you were the better dancer. No mini tramps. No mini tramps, never once. You're like Queen and no synthesizers. Absolutely, that's where I got it from. I was like, and if you if you notice when I would the programs that we would have at our performances, it would say there is no use of mini tramps in this performance. How am I going to be honest? What what's that, Darren? I used a mini tramp at least three times. You did? I did. Yeah, I didn't tell you because I knew you'd be mad. Well, I I am. That was a big sticking point for me. That was a point of pride. No mini tramps. It didn't reflect on on you, just just me. You know, I'm the one that has had to live with it all these years. Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's, um, that that that's disappointing, Darren, that you used a mini tramp during our routines. I know. But you know what was also disappointing? What's that? You know, by the summer of 1988, it was all over. You know, t- tastes and fashions changed, and we were victims of it. Yeah. I just, I remember. They just didn't want what we were doing anymore. They didn't. And, you know, kudos to you for trying to keep the gang together when you persuaded us to change our, our name to Tough Stuff, the Quint City's only all-male hair metal dance troupe. 
Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a, I, I saw an opportunity with bands like Warrant and, uh, uh, you know, uh, Poison, Warrant, uh, Keel. You were into White Lion pretty White Lion. I loved White Lion. Oh my God. I still do. I still love White Lion so much. Good stuff. Yeah. Vito Brada, great guitar player. I just feel like they were, they were our Beatles in a way. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I, I think we all knew that this whole concept was doomed the moment we started dancing to nothing but a good time outside of that Guns N' Roses concert and, People started throwing rocks and those wet hoagies at us. I mean, it was almost like they knew it was going to happen, so they got extra oil on their subs. Yes, they were. Those were the wettest sandwiches. That was kind of, and that was, that was an early version of, uh, Jersey Mike's, I believe, which everybody knows are the wettest sandwiches on the planet. That was their original, uh, slogan, wasn't it? The wettest hoagies on the planet. Yeah. And they used to just sell them. They, you, you used to get them in like a small aquarium. They would, right. They would actually sell, and that turned out to be too costly when they franchised out. But they're the original Jersey Mike's, I think still does the aquarium. They might. And, and my memory is the original name of Jersey Mike subs was Jersey Mike's aquarium, but. People, you know, obviously thought it was it was a, a fish food or fish place. Yeah, and then you'd order a tuna would be the only version that made sense for that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what's going? What in the name of Mother Sweet Cider is? What well, What's going on, Darren? Oh no! What? Oh no! It. it Oh my God! It's a whole team of ATFB G agents out there. Oh my God! What? What? What is that? Oh no! Oh no! What's what? The the ATFBG? Yeah, yeah. What? What does that stand for? Oh well, um, it's this little known but immensely powerful division of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, but they deal with contraband baked goods. Oh my God! They must. They must know all about the tasty cakes. Oh no! Yeah, it's bad. Oh no! It's like e- either they were listening to us talk on this show, or someone dropped a dime on me. You don't think it was it was that guy? I'm, I'm using air quotes, Roy. Do you? You can stop using air quotes for it. His name is literally Roy. Yep. It sure is, and I see him in the passenger seat of one of those cars out there, eating peanut shoes and laughing. Mm-hmm. Looks like he got me good. Well, I mean, you played with fire, buddy. I don't know what to tell you. It, it's a dangerous hey, Tom, game. Tom, it, it looks like I'm going to the hut, but you'll bail me out, right? Uh, no. Please, please. Uh, I, I, Darren, I can't. Please, we go we, back so far. We do, we do, but you also are, you admitted to a crime, and you're also a flight risk. I, I don't think you'd, I think I'd end up losing that money. No way, I only have four other passports. I used to have seven. So you only have, you lost three of your other passports. No, I sold them. 
Oh, you sold them. Okay. You're, making me, you're making me sound really evil. Some friend you are. Thanks for nothing. Well, Darren, I don't know what to tell you. Well, they're coming to the door, and thanks for nothing. And by the way, I was trying to kill you with my son's helicopter. Oh, oh, that's charming. Now the truth comes out, right? You tried to kill me with your son's little little mini copter, Darren. Oh, he's gone. Well, you guys, he's arrested. Well, that's something, huh? It's funny. Hold on one second. Good old Darren. Haven't heard from him in a while. Heard from him now. So, uh, as I was talking, as I mentioned before, you go to Patreon. We're sending out stickers, the uh, Best Show stickers, uh, the 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 USA sticker that we made, patriotic sticker designed by Jeff T. Owens, my guy, best in the biz. He's a good guy, good guy. He made a he made a cool new sticker. Everybody pledging five dollars or more per month to the Patreon gets the sticker. So go over there and make sure you leave your address. There's instructions. On that, and uh, I'm looking at here on Twitter, man. I mean, all I wrote was, "Here's a tweet. Here's here's a tweet. Here's a tweet. Who is the best American band ever? I says it's the Velvet Underground. Four perfect albums, all completely different. Who do you says it is? And then there's people. God, you nerds like boring music." Oh, I can't wait to see how interesting this. Uh, let me see how interesting this clown is. Oh, it's one of those people. It's one of those people where it's just you look at the thing. First of all, guy's been on on Twitter for ten years, still hovering there in the mid one hundreds on his a one hundred seventy something followers. You wanna you wanna step it up? Uh, put all of us on trial. You step up your Twitter. You had a decade. You do a half decent job on Twitter, you end up with 300 and change with followers. Look, everybody on the thing, do they, do they like some, some stuff that's a little expected? Yeah, a little bit. I don't care. Somebody thinks Wilco's the best uh, band ever. Good for them. That's great. Not for me, but not maybe for you. And then there's the other people got on me where they're like, you know, music shouldn't be a competition and stuff. I didn't say it's a competition. Oh, and then here's the one just came in now, one that I saw so many times. Blank, and it's not close. How many did I see where people were like, who's the best band? And they're like, it's Ween. Ween, and it's not close. Whatever. God bless all of you. God bless all of you. Pat? Sir? What we got going on? We got anything going on uh, on the hotline? Sure do. Putting you through. 
Thank you. Thank you. Put, 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 put my guests through. Now this is, I'm going to say this. We get a lot of people on the show and it's usually, it's, uh, a guy who, uh, a, a, a guy who got a baby Yoda tattoo or, uh, is like, or we'll get somebody who was a background talent on, uh, on an episode of How I Met Your Mother. It's usually we're, we're, we're pulling from the dregs for the most part on the show, but <laughs> tonight it's, it's, it's very rare that we get somebody who's a, a honest to goodness legend on the show. And tonight I'm telling you, we got a legend on the show. <laughs> if everything is correct, we have uh, Meryl Marco on the, are you there? I'm here and I just got a baby Yoda tattoo. Oh, you did. So you're do- doing double duty then. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> well, that is, that is, that then I don't even know what you just, you just went through the, through two levels of the roof. You're just shattering all, uh, all the rules tonight. I know it's kind of sad because it's um, not the best weather out here. So nobody, I'm not really able to sport it and get the full effect at the market and so forth that I would be getting. I well, you know, anyway, because everyone's got masks on, so maybe it's just as well. We'll have to wait for the vaccine. You got to wait for the vaccine. Maybe ask if they can inject it into B- Miller Baby O's forehead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that would be lovely. Are we going to look for? There's going to be a whole series of and look, a vaccine. It's great. Everybody should go get it. You know what I'm not looking forward to is the. Whenever there's going to be a thing where it's going to be like a famous person saying like, I got the shot. And then they're all going to like do the same photo thing of them. Like I got the shot. And it's going to be like, Oh, it's Michael Chiklis getting the shot. And it's like, add Michael. Black and white, you mean, and it's going to be all framed one after another, after another. Yes. Like a commercial for, for something sophisticated. Yes, I just I'm I'm just waiting for whatever the the hashtag is or the device is going to be like hashtag got the shot, and then it's going to be like <laughs> you'll look and it'll be like it'll be just like uh, uh, Jim Belushi saying like holding like his pulling his sleeve up in a photo and it's like hashtag got the shot. <laughs> well, you you certainly called it first. I haven't heard anyone discussing that yet, but I think you're totally right. Are we still doing um, sequels? We're, well, we do things. We do so many things at the same time here. But, right, you can do that. We can talk about any. I want to talk to you about anything you want to talk about. But I just want to say thank you for acknowledging that I found a way to complain about the vaccine. I think that it just <laughs> takes a special skill set, and I have a real yeah. special talent to find – yeah, thank you. And I was the first one to start moaning about something that hasn't happened yet. I applaud that. I totally but, applaud that. I didn't think of any sequels. I thought of a prequel. The only prequel I could think of was um, Hawaii 2.0, and it would just be mostly like whenever there'd be an action shot, there'd be buffering. Okay. So Hawaii, <laughs> so Hawaii 2.0, yeah. and it's a prequel buffering. to which one, though? Because there's the new Hawaii 5.0. Oh, there's uh, one with like Scott, with like Scott Kahn. Hawaii 5.0 would be the Hawaii 2.0, cause the new Hawaii 5.0 would be 5, 5.1, wouldn't it? I guess it would have to be Hawaii 5.1. Yeah. Would be the thing, and it, uh, it's one of those ones with, uh, 
I think Scott Kahn is the uh, the son of James Kahn is the the oh, really? one of one of I the. Have not seen it, I have to admit, but I understand that they're all getting the vaccine and are going to be making one of those commercials. Great, one of their opening episodes when we finally get back from the uh, from the quarantine. Sure, so it'll be Scott Kahn with his sleeve pulled up, got the shot, <laughs> and uh, the. Uh, also, I was surprised you didn't. You're not working up a, a Hawaii Five O packet. You're not. You're not getting your packet together to staff up. Yeah. No. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, no. I would. I would like very much uh, to work on that. That would be. I'm. I can't really think of a better use of my talent. <laughs> I guess I should watch a few of them first. Sure. Now that seems like a great way to for you to use your your particular skill set would be yeah, to. It really does. It does. Be sitting in a writer's room, pitching out. It's just like, what if there's some counterfeit money? That's <laughs> <laughs> is that what they do on that show? I thought they were surfing. But I, but if the cops have to do something, maybe it's just like, what if the surfboards are made of gold and that's how they're importing the drugs or they're made of cocaine, like the I surfboards. They bring the cocaine in the hollow part of the surfboard. Yeah, that actually. If they haven't done that, I would like. Now that I think of it, that's that's actually an idea that I'm sure we could sell, and I'll be writing it up. Sure. Well, we, what you did also. You credit probably. Well, you you look, you, say I'm, I made that up. You take you take that one. That one's a gift. That one. But I'm going to say this and watch this segue. This is watch this segue. Another thing you did write up, Meryl Marco. Let's see how we did that. Is a new book called We Saw Scenery, and it's it's ironic because you it's a new thing you wrote up, and it's an old thing you wrote up because it's you taking your childhood diaries and yeah. Well, I thought what what would be funny. I was I was cleaning out my office. I don't know if you do this, but I I, I compulsively say everything I think is funny because I think I'm going to use it at some point. If it, if it, it can actually make me laugh, I respect it. it Entirely too much, and I and I save it. And I um, mean, if it's still making me laugh after I find it again, then I continue to save it. And some of this stuff I've had 25, 30 years mm-hmm. crap of paper that makes me laugh. Anyway, so I regularly have to weed through all this stuff. And I was cleaning out my office, and I came upon these little diaries that my mother gave me, which uh, made me laugh just because they have a lock and a key, as if anything I was saying when I was 10, 11, 12 years old was so important that, you know, better not see the light of day. So I sure, sure. An amusing thing to do would be to sit down and read them and just review them like they're an early work of literature since I went on to become a writer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, and I actually, I've learned a lot of stuff. Like, first of all, I, that I only remembered about a third or half of what I wrote. And then also, I don't know, do you keep diaries or journals or anything? I try and then I fail and I'll just be like, now I'm doing it. And then, <laughs> then, then it's like, oh, I don't feel like it today. And it's just like, well, there goes that for another year. See you next year. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually what I've been doing since the quarantine. I used to keep them, but when I first got them, when my mother first gave them to me, I couldn't figure out what you were supposed to do with them because, you know, somebody gives you a blank book with all these dates on it and tells you you're supposed to write something. So I wrote down everything I did, and that's why I decided to turn these things into a book is they were 
almost an archaeological artifact of what it was like to be a kid in the 60s. It's just day after day, everything. And it, it started to make me laugh because it's totally not the kind of way, if I keep a diary now, it's mostly whining or, you know, <laughs> some kind of um, stress release or something. God damn it! That sort of stuff. But these were, it was all the stuff that happened to me when when I was a kid. So, I thought, well, that's kind of interesting to, you know, it's a little bit like if you, if, if you found the writings of a, an Aztec child from the 13th century who told you what it was like every day to be a member of the Aztecs, you know, was only was a little more contemporary than that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's a really, it's a really amazing book. It's fascinating. It's really funny and, and sweet. And there's so much, there's something to the innocence in it of a of a kid who doesn't know how things are gonna work yet. No, and then there was also yes, there was there was that, and there was a couple of things I learned. Another thing was I don't you know speaking only for myself, but perhaps this relates to you. I wouldn't have known what the arc was of my early life at all if I hadn't been looking at this. I didn't know what that story was or if it led to anything. It didn't seem to me that um, those details added up to anything, but it turns out, you know, I went into writing for TV. Are you still there? I am, yes. Oh, so I just heard a bunch of clicking, and I thought maybe one of those things like customer service where they go, you hear clicking, and then a minute later you hear, Ehh. No, there's no, yeah, no we're not, you're not hanging up on you. Service. Hmm? I thought you were hanging up on me. No, I was not hanging up on you. And um, now I've forgotten what I was saying. You were saying? Uh, well, the, yeah, that I, the, it, it became apparent to me after after I reviewed all this stuff and was trying to figure out how to turn it into a book that I was way engaged with pop culture and media. You know, I was, I was entering every contest that was on the radio. I was phoning radio stations and I was tr- entering contests on television and I was getting my letter read on the air of some show, some kid's show about how to have um, the the monkey that was on the show come to your birthday party. I only got runner-up, but I was excited about that. And I I was doing a lot of stuff with media. It's sort of like I wasn't just watching it and consuming it. I was I was working in it, kind of. Yeah. You were, you were, the table was being set for your, for your career. Yeah, this. that's what I was thinking is it was, um, cause, uh, you know, the, the guy I live with, I, I said that then, were you always phoning radio stations and entering TV contests and stuff? And he said, no, I never did that. He was just playing music and he's a musician. So I, I did that all the time. I entered contests as kids. I called, I would call WNBC, which was the station yeah. in in New York that was the. Or uh, as they'd say, WNBC. Yeah, when Imus, when Imus would was on it, and he would, uh, but it would be like music and. Uh, oh no! Wait, I, I, yeah, it was there was a WABC and WNBC, and WNBC became WFAN, the sports station, and WABC became like a right wing uh, garbage. Uh, uh, distribution center. Um, right. But I would call both of them, and I do remember winning a frisbee that I won a frisbee, and then I won a. Um, I entered some contest uh, for there was a, a local peanut butter brand that had a name the peanut contest. They were the second company to have a peanut. I believe Planters was ahead of them. Uh-huh. They didn't have a name. 
for their peanut. So I entered like 30 times and I won like three t-shirts and a copy of their commercial, which I used to play constantly. I considered it quite a prize. I was, you know, (laughs) excited about getting merch. (laughs) Oh no. The idea of like that to me, that Frisbee and look, I don't like Frisbees. I don't play with Frisbees. I don't, it's not like I ever was like, Hey, let's go throw that WABC Frisbee around. But I got that Frisbee. I was never more excited to that somebody mailed me a Frisbee. And <laughs> I was and it had a little logo on it. And I was just like, this is maybe the greatest day of my life. Um Sadly, you couldn't wear it to school like you could if they sent you a shirt. But then, yeah. but then nobody was wearing shirts at that point with um with logos on them when I was a kid, so you couldn't really I would have looked like a fool if I wore my um session school day peanut butter peanut to to school that wouldn't have been prestigious yeah well you the, the thing with saving everything i get that and i want to say we have meryl marco on the show right now and she has a new book out and that book is called oh i just had it we saw scenery the early I, diaries I named, of meryl marco by the, way, the name of it is because i say that on a couple pages in these diaries when I was traveling on, a, I would go on like a little trip with my parents to somewhere like we were living in Florida at the time. So we'd go to the Everglades mm-hmm. and I would, the way I would record the event was we went to the Everglades. We saw scenery, which I thought was <laughs> the most minimal definition of, uh, of yeah. uh, minim- it was sort of the opposite of Anne Frank. It was just minimally descriptive. And I thought that was pretty funny. I don't think I've ever used the word scenery since. Yeah. Well, you were, you were, uh, it's one of those things where it just feels like the, you're meeting the obligation of, of the, of the moment and doing the bare minimum to have met the obligation and to be like, yeah. now I covered that one. Older, I started to try to, um, uh, belly up to the bar in a, in a more important way in the diaries. And I got my big moment when um, I was a a kid during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and I thought that was my big diary moment, so I tried to make a list of all the things I would miss if I died in the Cuban Missile Crisis and so (laughs) forth. I tried to really work up a a page knowing that um, probably my diary might be the only thing that would be left after we were bombed um, by Russia in the Cuban Missile Crisis. Sure. No, it was, it was important that the the so there needed to be a document that people could refer back to generations later <laughs> to like piece, to piece the whole thing back. Like we need to reassemble society. We've got this notebook that a child wrote. That's <laughs> what I was sort of hoping for. I was hoping for some sort of um, grand diary moment with that. And then from that point on, I tried to, as I got older, that was another thing that made me laugh about the diaries. As I got older, I was becoming more articulate, and I was writing for an audience, but of course I had no audience. I was just alone in my room. So I was sort of broadcasting. I I felt that I should add things of import to the diary, which was mostly about boys I liked and so forth. I would put at the bottom, I'd write a lot, a, a chapter, a paragraph about this guy, Robert, who I was very in love with. And then at the bottom, I would talk about um, how they were uh, they, they were having trouble integrating the schools in Alabama, mm-hmm. you know, just or, or the moon when, when they when they started the satellite program. I, I started to try to integrate um, 
space travel <laughs> you were yeah you were running a very progressive platform in your uh diary i, I was I was. It was. Yeah. It was uh, it, it's. Uh, so it's a touching document. It, it, and then another thing I thought was sort of interesting about it is the amount that I was obsessed with having a boyfriend. I didn't have a boyfriend till I was way older, like maybe senior year in high school or something. But I was totally obsessed with it when I was about ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Felt that because I didn't have a boyfriend, my life was basically over. And uh, there was nothing that I would be able to do. I would live a life alone forever, a reject. And sure. uh, you, you play out the string. You just were just fate. Your fate was determined. And right. There was nothing to do, really, except for just sit, sit back and accept it. And yeah. uh, it was so dire that I thought, well, that would be a good reason to make this into a book because kids must still be doing this, in which case um, – at least, if at least one kid this age who's suffering this way looks at this, they will say to themselves, "Well, you know, she didn't do that bad. I mean, she wrote a book." So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it will show that there is some pattern to life after you don't, you know, you don't have a boyfriend when you're eleven. Sure, you just gotta hang in there. There, there. It's it's all around the corner. Yeah, and then it really gets good, you know. Their love gets so easy after that. As you get older, you know, there's no complications, and it really just a smooth sailing. After no, it's all downhill after that. Um, now, people know you. You've written so many books, and you also have done so much legendary TV writing and so much. I'm TV. such a legend that people think I'm dead. Well. Well, well, maybe now they'll be like, "Oh, she's alive." How about that? Yeah. And yeah. but the like, I've been doing this during during the quarantine, Meryl. What I've been one of the things I've been doing is going on YouTube, and I watch these these like there's this one maniac on there who puts together. I mean, I say it in the nicest possible way. This guy who I guess has every episode of Late Night and like does like oh, a five God. hour. Or Giller, I don't yes. know how you say his name, but yes, Don Z. That's I, exactly that guy. Well, if I ever need him, if I ever have to, for some reason or other, have a piece of videotape from that place, I mm-hmm. he he amazes me. He says, I, I say things to him like, you know, at some place in the early 80s, there was something about cabbage that we did, and I can't remember what it was, but it was, um, I think we had a head of cabbage on the show, or and 30 seconds later, he sends me the video. That is unbelievable. He's speaking. He knows where it is. He has cataloged, and he just uh, and he sends it to me. He's, he's um, a great asset if you need a piece of obscure information from the uh the origins of the Letterman show. Oh yeah, because you were you wrote on the show for how many how many years? I was in and out, in and out for maybe the first seven, six or seven years. Mm-hmm. And you you were you worked with Mr. Breckman, did you not? I did. Andy Breckman was uh my my uh he I worked on Monk with Andy for all eight years of Monk. Yeah. So I was I spent a lot of time. You know, the um, he was actually just like Monk when he worked on the Letterman show. He was uh, absent-minded, and very uh, obsessed with OCD and really and solving mysteries. Oh, that's, solving and, and solving mysteries. Sure. Yeah. yeah. 
The other friend, well, well I think we have a, a, a bunch of friends in common, including our friend, uh, Megan Keister, who, oh, yeah. who put us in touch for this. So thank you to Megan. She's very funny and, uh, one of my favorite comedians and people. Yeah, she's very funny. But, uh, a book out that we, we put out two years ago called The Indignities of Being a Woman, where we researched how women have been getting shit on since the first day that they made civilization complex. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. It's a funny book about that. But it's an audio book. Well, you're both funny, so it would be funny. It would be you're funny. Saying, you're it saying it like that should be a shocker that two incredibly funny people made a funny thing. Is when they work together. It shouldn't be a shocker, and yet it is. We also, uh, uh, Adam Resnick is a good uh, friend of mine as well. Ah, Adam Resnick. I never knew him too well. He was um, he he was a kind of a, a low, uh, he was kind of an intern, I think, when I knew him. I okay. He was an intern and hadn't advanced to any actual status, and then he went on to become king of the world. Yes, and he is currently king of the world, and he's a benevolent leader, and we appreciate we appreciate his kindness. The smooth transition for Trump now, isn't he? Sure, yes, he's 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 helping with the transitions. Um, so you were there for like seven or so years, on and off. You said one of the things I've been watching these these like super cuts of where it's like every Albert Brooks appearance on. Yeah, you mean Don Jiller put it together? Yeah, yes. got, yeah, there's one of me, and I can't bring myself to look at it. Well, one thing I've been watching, I watched probably about 47 hours of Jay Leno on the show, and it was weird and fascinating to see. He had he came out like he would come out in like 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 Elvis or something for so much of the thing. Really good Elvis. You know, here's the thing. I I met Letterman and I met Jay Leno and I met a lot of these people at the comedy store where I was doing stand-up at, before the Letterman show happened. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and at the comedy store, I was like an incoming freshman and they were like the big men on campus, Dave mm-hmm. and uh, Jay and um, a couple others. And, and, uh, and Jerry was was definitely the best guy at the comedy store. He was the funniest. He was the biggest smartass. He had just an attitude. He was sarcastic. He used to do Elvis, and he did a great Elvis because he looked sort of faintly like Elvis. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just I I for me that made it just a huge impression on me. He really actually very funny he, oh. he ended up trying very hard to go middle of the road when he got the tonight show but he didn't used to do that at the comedy store when i saw him no no he 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 is consistently funny on this and it's funny to see how hard he works to be funny and i mean that in a good way it's not like he's sweaty and he's so he's so in control of it but it's just like he would just go all out and it's just like, it seems like you would, you, it would be easy to forget that that's who that guy was. A guy who would literally episode after episode would bring out an a issue of TV guide and then go through it with yeah. just like, like elaborate jokes written for like, like it just seems like he was working for hours on what he was going to do on the show. 
he did language really well. I remember jokes where he really phrased things that were almost novelistic kind of descriptions mm-hmm. and so forth that were like memorable. I mean, yeah, he used to really have a great act. Yeah. But this is the thing I wanted to ask is he would sometimes film things for the show like these, like he'd bring like, it's a f- film of me dr- driving a dump truck over the top of a, of a, of a compact car. Cause he was always, you know, he's one of those car guys who's that stuff at all. That, that stuff I'm blank on. Like who was paying for that? That's what I want to know. I was like, was he going out of pocket for that? That I cannot tell you. I um, the way we had the show organized when I was there was two very distinct departments. I w- there was the writing department, and there was the talent department, and never the twain shall meet because we were doing so much writing when I when we started that show that it was uh, a continuum of just writing and writing and writing because every single day the show is on again, and you have to write more stuff for it. So we didn't really find out. <laughs> that much stuff about what was going on in the talent department. They were organizing that stuff. So I can't even, I don't remember any of that. Maybe I don't even know if that was taking place when I was there. Or I was just, yeah, I didn't used to watch a lot of the shows. I was always up in my office working on the next show. while the one show was on, you know, it was. Yeah. That's, that's how it actually is that people maybe don't know that it's like, if you're making a show, you don't have the latitude to be nostalgic about it or to just to, to sit back and just admire the thing. It's like you're just on to the next one because that's how it's got to be. Unless you are uh, driving home with the host and he is complaining about every element of it and then you're um, and it's slightly different. <laughs> well, sure. No, well, then you're then you're basically people are not driving home with the host. And so they don't have that issue. Yeah, so you're getting it from all angles, then, is what you're saying. Yeah, you do. When you're, when you're working for a boss who dwells on his own shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, when you, when you started, you were in, you came to LA, how old were you when you came to Los Angeles? Uh, 48. You were 48. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm getting really weird. I hear that. What is that? Pat, uh, Jason, and uh, do you know what that is? Let's see. If, okay. I'm not entirely sure. I think it's just the phone. Okay. All right. Yeah, Jason, Jason, saying, Jason's saying you have a lousy phone, Carol. I'm not saying that. There has been instances where rats have eaten my phone lines, and then okay. it's also talking the phone. But sure. Well, let's hope the rats at least ease up on the phone uh, yeah. for the remainder of the call. So you came... To LA, as I, mean, a, LA was, I was 20, 25 or 26. Okay. What were some of those first, what were some of those first, uh, first, uh, shows you were working on? Well, the first, uh, the first thing I got, I got work really quickly, which was really just nightmarishly shocking to me. I mean, I was stunned. I sort of was taking a gamble, a risk to see whether or not I could, I could get a job and I got hired immediately to um do research for this woman who was the head writer for Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, which was my favorite show at the time. So I was doing that and I was um, like two weeks after I moved here was attending meetings with Norman Lear and stuff like that. And then I got a job as a staff writer and they were redoing Laughing. It wasn't the original Laughing, it was called the new Laughing. 
and it was truly terrible and unfunny. And I never liked the old laughing. No, laughing sucks. And that's one of the things that. Not my sense of humor at all. It just. <laughs> well, it was like vaudeville. There was like. It's like if you watch that, people are, if people like rewrite history on some of these things where they're just like laughing head. The, it's edge to it. And it's like, like it, yeah, for like 30 seconds of an episode, the rest of it was like, was like Artie Johnson on a park bench. Well, doing like, like that stuff. I mean, it was, yeah, it would appear that someone like, for me, I just always found it laugh free. And then I was suddenly writing on it and I didn't exactly know how you wrote jokes. I knew I could write funny, but I didn't know how you wrote a joke per se. So, uh, so I had a, nobody, but it was all new writers and Robin Williams was in the cast, by the way. That was the, the most distinguishing feature. It was his first job as well. That, that, um, we had, I had to learn how to write a laughing sketch. This guy sat and taught me, the head writer of the thing. And, uh, it was like, you had to break, have a small idea and then break it into like eight sections so they could keep coming back to it, another version of it. So for instance, like, you show someone playing pool. And then the pool, you pull the pool cue back and it hits the ball and the ball explodes. That would be one thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then another one, he pulls the cue back and he hits the ball and he gets hit in the face with a pie. Yeah, yeah. And then that would be the second one. And then the third one, he pulls the cue back and he hits the ball and water comes down and hits him in the head. Yeah, so you were basically writing, you were basically writing Bazooka Joe comics. Exactly right. It didn't make any sense at all, but you know, there'd be a laugh if he got hit with a pie. And yeah. I know that I've never understood why hitting anyone with a pie is supposed to be funny. Yeah, I see that, and I'm just like, well, I would have eaten that pie. <laughs> yeah, why, why would that be a thing that you would have that you'd be hitting people with? I guess I'm not sure. I don't know if there was a moment in time where people were just amazingly obsessed and interested in the idea that you could hit someone with a pie. I don't know how that happened. Yeah, I, is is that just like a thing that would read from the stage? That it would just be like they if when they, when everything was in theaters, or you're doing it's like a if you hit it with a pie, you can see it. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I probably was vaudeville, but I don't even know where it started. In fact, when I when we're finished with this conversation, I'm going to Google origin of hitting with pie. Sure, that could be your next book. Yeah, and then probably two minutes into reading of the first one, I'll forget I did that, and I'll yeah. be researching something. <laughs> now, what was the what was the first uh, time you remember hearing one of your jokes get on television? Uh, well, let's see. Um, I don't think anything on the new laugh-in ever got on. That that was such a terrible show. Um, I don't think anybody got anything on that show, as a matter of fact, that who was hired as a writer. I think the head writer was just recycling old laughing. Mm-hmm. He actually even had some soccer to me on it, which was always mysterious and uh, and continues to be mysterious. Mysterious enough that I might want to bring it back. Sure, you bring it for the newer laughing. Maybe it's time to revive Socket to me. I don't know what it ever meant, but it might mean something even more interesting now. And, um, that's the first time I ever, uh, geez, you know, 
I don't know if I have that emblazoned in my memory. It might be, I wrote a bunch of pilots with Letterman before we ever got his talk shows on. Okay. I, I, there were other talk shows. There were, there was a one that didn't get on that was, um, called Leave It to Dave that was truly dastardly and, uh, and was influenced by one of his managers who thought it was that the guests should come down, um, shoots and, or ca- crawl down ladders to enter instead of just walk onto the, <laughs> set so they would be tumbling down into pillows that is well that just sounds like it would really change the whole talk show game if the (laughs) if you got desk that boring desk stuff there was no actually there is no reason for there to be a desk but but uh but there was no reason to have those pillows in that shoot either but the whole thing is when you see the desk and you're just like man there's no reason for a desk and then you watch like a show without the desk and you're just like I think I wish that guy was behind a desk. Like it really is a weird, yeah, it's a weird thing. Having worked on that show, I we had many discussions about that desk to desk or not to desk, and uh, mm. and it just became, yeah, it would be like, why resist? We'll just have to have a desk. And I'm not sure that's another thing. Like pie, why was there ever a desk? Who knows? Yeah. I like the idea. Yeah, but I, I like the idea, though. Interview maybe is what it's supposed to be. Like, he's the boss, and then the, the guests come on, and they're doing a job interview. Yeah, I guess it feels that way. Just like, and it's just kind of like, yeah, you got the job. The job was to promote your thing. Thank you for, <laughs> you, you're hired. The I'm just picturing if, like, the sliding down the thing is all I can think of now, picturing, like, Art Donovan or one of these like old people having to go down a slide and then be like, Oh, I'm hurt. <laughs> Can you, like, how long would it have been before like George Goble got hurt? Well, that would have been a, a memorable show. That would be, yeah. be replaying that on the anniversary show year after year after year. Yeah. Or just somebody stuck in the shoot. That would have been great. Yeah. Now, yeah. So we didn't go ahead with that. I do remember that um, Letterman hated that idea immediately and then made me go to his manager and tell him we weren't doing it. <laughs> it was uh, something I want to black out of my memory, and I'm going to go ahead and do that right now. I'm blacking it out. Um, and then there was, so there was that show, and I maybe had a joke on that show. Or Okay. Two. And then, in fact, I know I did. And then we went on to do another one. Um, and then we did a morning show. So, um, and I had a lot of material on that one. I was pretty much writing that one single-handedly with Rich Hall. So, um, so that would someplace in there. You know, once once it started, there were so many that I don't think I was ever one. Mm-hmm. That it's just now you're just now you're just shoveling. Jokes into the the train engine, like to keep the train going. Yeah, in fact, but I'm laughing. I got so few jokes on what everyone did that I started doing stand up just because I was writing them all, and I thought, well, I've got like a billion jokes here. Why don't I get up and see if any of them work? Start doing something with them, yeah, yeah. Now I was I was told uh, by by uh, 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 somebody who shall remain. Nameless to ask you about uh, your Timothy Leary story. Timothy Leary? No, you mean Ken Kesey? Well, I guess it would be Ken Kesey. Yeah, they got it wrong. 
It was Megan. Well, it was your friend. It was Megan. I went to two um, Ken Kesey acid tests. Yes. So you, Ken Kesey, author of One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. The Cuckoo's Nest. I don't actually have a story about him. I just when I I went to high school in the San Francisco Bay Area, and. Uh, and I went to college there too, and I was there right at the right moment where every weird thing in the counterculture stuff exploded in the sixties. And I went to everything, everything. I mean, I really was zealot. I went, I saw Lenny Bruce, Bruce perform. I saw, I went to two Ken Kesey acid tests. I went to two Beatle concerts. I went to Altamont. I went to everything. So, and, um, so and you I, were, at, you were at Altamont. Yeah. And well, how far back were you? That's the other, that's the other thing is I went to everything and I left everything early because I never really was having a good time at these things. Uh-huh. But, <laughs> I knew that I needed to be at them because they were important to go to. Sure. So I went to them and then just left early. I didn't like the smell of patchouli. No, well, that would do it for you then. That would be the wrong place to be if you're not into the smell of patchouli. So you saw the Beatles at Candlestick Park? I certainly did. Twice. Well, that's exciting. And I saw him at the Cow Palace was the first one. And that was another thing that I put in my diet. that's in the book that made me laugh is, you know, you've often heard of people who said they went to Beatle concerts and it's just legend at this point. It's one amazing memory, a golden, precious memory of life kind of. And, uh, and I gave them bad reviews because I hated all the screaming girls and I, I still don't, there's another thing I don't understand. Why were those girls screaming? What does that have to do with, with being in love with someone? Screaming. You don't scream at people you love. <laughs> well, you do. You always scream at the ones you love. Yeah. You don't just see them, they walk in a room and then you just go into like a panicked screaming fit to where you <laughs> fall on the ground. If you really want to be true to love, it should have been just screaming at them in rage. What are you yeah. doing? Get on Yeah. And it's also so funny. It's like when you see the footage of the Beatles playing these baseball stadiums and that it was a stage just out by like second base and this just smallish. Like now you see now people's concerts take over the entire, would take over the entire stadium would be, you would know where you would, you would feel the magnitude of the band, but then it was just like, where should we put this stage? I don't know, like second base. <laughs> yeah, no, it was that, but uh, but the, but the screaming—you couldn't hear anything. And the first one I went to when I was about, I was about thirteen or fourteen, and um, and I was really uh, deeply in love with with uh, the Beatles at that point. And I so I went and and um, the the girls, the screaming girls, which were all of them, um, rushed the stage. So they were all around the stage, so the front row was open. So we went to the front row, and we were standing on the seats in the front row, couldn't see and couldn't hear anything. That was my experience seeing the Beatles. How how great of an experience is that? You know, those are the yeah, details you're supposed to. You're supposed to. I'm going to tell you about the Ken Kesey acid test, right? Yeah. I don't really know what. Here's here's my favorite thing about the Ken Kesey acid test. On my way out, well, staying there was it was a weird. You know, I didn't take acid or anything. I just um, 
it was just a big happening and and uh, I was just there waiting to find a way to get my friends to leave with me and uh, <laughs> somebody stuck their hand up my dress and it was so much smoke I couldn't close my eyes and I really wasn't having that great a time even though the Grateful Dead were playing and everybody was playing and so forth. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we left uh, when I finally got someone to leave with me on my way out, I took a poster off the wall of the outside of the building, which was at Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco and because I had that much space left in my bedroom and I needed um, needed a poster. So I took it with me and uh, and I like I did with everything that I was telling you, I saved it. And about um, a year ago or maybe six months, yeah, about a year ago, CNN came to my house and they did a, uh, I was part of a documentary called The History of Comedy. And uh, so I had to decorate my office in order to uh, be a talking head in this thing. So behind me, among the different things I've, I've put up on the wall, I found this acid test poster, so I hung it up behind me thinking, well, this will be kind of interesting looking. Mm-hmm. And uh, almost immediately I started hearing from a certain kind of person who was saying, is that an acid test poster behind you? No one ever mentioned anything I said in the interview. It was just like, is that a blue acid test poster behind you? And <laughs> the end of the story is that I uh, I sold it for $20,000. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that a great story? That is that is maybe I, the best story. I, yeah. I, got, I, I took it off the wall of a, of a building and yeah. – and my mother, of course, wanted me to throw it away because she thought it was disgusting. And then, uh, and then I sold it for twenty grand. Twenty grand. And now you've been actually going through your archives and your your the things you've been saving over the years and putting things on on eBay. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of auctions. I'm I'm funding all my favorite animal charities because when I write, I like to give money to charities, but I never can write very big checks because I'm not in that wealth category. Mm-hmm. Uh, suddenly I, I realized I had all this stuff from my years at the Letterman show, like nine jackets, which are sure. big jackets, by the way. They're all men's large. They have those big leather sleeves and, um, and they're huge. And then I had all this other, other stuff that, um, like a bait, couple of baseball shirts and football shirts and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of people who like that sort of stuff. So I've been auctioning it off for, fairly big ticket um money and giving the money to charity 100%. That is awesome. What what's what's coming up? Is there you have another one coming up? I have three three up right now. The weirdest okay. one, the ones that I think I can never tell which ones are going to appeal to people. I guess people like the jackets a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, last week I sold Three pieces. I used to do all the remotes for the show the years I was there. I mean, the, where we took the camera out, I was, I wrote and produced all of those. Okay. So, um, I had a bunch of stuff I, I saved on the remote. I, I would find the premises for my remotes by reading the phone book because that's what we had before the internet was the Manhattan phone book. So I'd go through it. A to Z and look for anything that caught my eye that seemed like there was a question I could ask or something I'd never seen on TV. And I had a wide berth of ideas about what might you might want to see on TV that you'd never seen on TV. Like I remember trying to do a piece about aluminum anodizing just because I'd never seen that on TV. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so I did a piece. I had, found, I had accumulated a bunch of different ads that said, while you wait, while you wait, while you wait, while you wait. And then I, we went to all of them and we had something made at each of them while we waited. 
and then we made a piece out of it. Mm-hmm. I have those pieces in the closet. Um, we we made a joke out of it. And the pieces were crazy. They were about Connie Henderson, stewardess of the year, etc. But I have these things sitting in the closet here, and I sold them last week for a thousand dollars. Oh, that's fantastic! Uh, that, that see, it's and I gave the money to um, an elephant rescue in Nairobi, which really, really made me happy. That is so awesome. So people should check those out if they're in the market for uh, uh, late night with David Letterman collectibles that you've, you're yeah. doing, and it goes I to a good cause. If you look at any of my social media, I keep I keep pushing it on the social media. I keep saying, hey, did you forget about this? But right now there's a thing nobody has bid on that would be a thing I thought somebody would bid on. On the day, on the morning show, the Letterman morning show, we used to have a fake product called Winky's Cow Paste. And I had quite a bit of uh, Winky's Cow Paste here, so I was trying to move it on, uh, as an auction item. Well, that's sitting out there. That's a buyer's market right now for that one. <laughs> so wait, you really? Only, it's the only auction offering Winky's Cow Paste. Sure. Anywhere. And you really? You said you don't have the big money. You burned through all of that new laugh-in money. <laughs> that was when it was. That was when I joined the Writers Guild. To say we were, um, I advanced to Writers Guild scale at the laugh-in mm-hmm. um, thing. I, I, which for me, I had been an art teacher right before that. So that for me was um, was riches beyond my wildest dreams relative to being an art teacher, getting Writers Guild scale. Yeah, yeah. it's it really is. That's a, it's, it's exciting to get through that door and you yeah. got through it and you've stayed through it and you're a legend. Own your legendary status, Meryl Marco. What was your first job in, in this, in this? It would be, be, uh, Monk would be the first, the first, uh, Monk, right? yeah, yeah, that was, it was, I could not believe it and I still can't believe it sometimes. Yeah. Um, just to be near Andy Breckman is a dream for most people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, you he are no, oh God, sorry. Ever met. Say that again? He is one of the funniest people I've ever met. Oh my God. No, there's nobody, when, when he would, when he does his, the thing he can do, it's just yeah. truly, you cannot, uh, he, he can, he could overtake any room or and no matter who the no matter who it is, he could become the funniest person in the room. And it's very distinct too. It's really there's just a particular. I can't recreate it for you right now. But it's totally Breckmania. Oh yeah. Unlike it's just his own weird take on everything, and it's consistent. Oh, it's it's unbelievable. He really. I'm I'm so glad we both have him in common. Um, I want to. I got to wrap up. I do want to say. Um, one thing that you're known for is your love of dogs, right? I am known for my love of dogs. Yeah. Yes. Now, what goes into a good dog name? Because sometimes I hear people with dumb dog names. I have a philosophy, as I do of most things, um, willing to bore people with. Um, uh, well, see, I, I differ from my beloved, who with whom I um, I have lived for 20 years. Uh, he likes to go for um, sort of adorable, weird names. And mm-hmm. I have always picked, and if left to my own devices, I would return only to this path, human names that nobody would ever imagine would be a, on a dog. 
Okay. Does it sound cute or it doesn't sound at all like a pet name? Like I thought the other day, Richard. Richard. Oh, so you'd be in a park and you'd be like, Richard. Yeah. Richard. Because you have to picture that when you think about a dog name, you have to picture the yelling of it. Uh-huh. Where? Because if somebody goes and they name their dog like, if you named your dog like Toilet, then you have to go, God forbid your dog gets loose, and you're going through the neighborhood screaming, Toilet! Toilet! Yeah, I, had a, I had a friend um, who named their dog Taxi. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, uh-huh. That's great. Yeah. Taxi. Yeah. But I would, I would still over and over again, I, I dwell on, um, making a list of human names that don't feel like they belong anywhere near a dog, like Clark. Death. Clark would not work for a dog, right? Uh, Clark would be a good dog name, I would think. Okay. Nice in one syllable. You know, like Richard is annoyingly two syllables, so it becomes mm-hmm. really, really unlike a dog. Gene would not be a good one. Gene. Yeah, Gene is a good dog name. You think so? Um, I think there are people who name their dogs Tom, right? Nobody would name their dog Merrill. So that's that, a good sounds, that sounds like a challenge. Sounds like you just put a challenge out on, uh. <laughs> I'll name all my dogs Merrill from now on. Yeah. <laughs> well, Merrill, Marco, I want to say your book is, is great. It's called We Saw Scenery, and it's your early diaries from your childhood, and you did the illustrations for them, too. Yeah? Is that you? Yes. You did the illustrations. That's well, What can't you do? It's a, an art. Hmm? Let's just list what you can't do. It would be a shorter list, apparently. I literally can do everything. It's it's really um, surprising. It's very impressive. And the the book, in all, all seriousness, is such a fun, funny book, and it's sweet. And I think people are gonna really like it. If they should check it out, and a good Christmas present. There you go. Yes, a good Christmas present. We saw scenery, the early diaries of Meryl Marco, and you. Thank you. You are somebody who I was a little lad with a TV in my own bedroom when I shouldn't have had one, and I just watched television round the clock, and I watched that very first episode of Late Night. Uh, oh, really? when, yeah, when it happened and it was, cause I watched the summer show. I did watch the summer show. Uh, you mean the, the morning show? Yeah, yeah, the one it was, cause it was on in the summer, right? Was it? Right. The morning show? Yes. I remember watching that and I was excited about the late night show and I watched that first episode and it changed everything for me. And so you are a part of changing everything for me. So I thank you for that. That's great. I'm glad that I was able to um, facilitate that. Well, I appreciate all of it, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Well, well, this has been lovely, and um, uh, as you were, as they say. As you were, yes, as you were. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much, Meryl. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. That was nice. Jason. That was incredible. This is Pat. Oh, thanks, Pat. That was so good. Yeah. Not incredible, though, huh? It was brilliant. It was brilliant. Mm, Okay. So. No, Jason, Pat said, Pat said incredible. You said so good. (laughs) And then I revised to brilliant. 
after I flagged it. Well, I know. Yeah. And our thanks to Megan Kieser for that. Yes, exactly. Our, I don't know why, but I, I thought of her when you originally said that she was booked and mm-hmm. I don't know why I, I did not know that Megan had worked with her or knew her at all. Mm-hmm. The name just popped into my head for some reason. And then when you were doing the interview and, um, talking about the connection that they had with each other, I was like, Mike, I did like a double take because I was like, why, mm-hmm. why did I even, why did my brain do that earlier? I don't know. Well, Pat, I don't know what's going on in your head, but I do know one thing. You're the best in the biz. Wow. Thanks. Have we got any more calls? We got a full phone bank. Let's, let's take some calls. Let's take some calls. And I also want to thank everybody who's, uh, Everybody who is supporting the show over at Patreon, I appreciate all of it, and it's what keeps the show going. We don't take advertising. We just do that. So you go to patreon.com slash the best show, and we're sending these stickers out that we have now for people at the $5 or more level of support, and thank you. Thank you. Who do we got? Best show. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Who's this? This is Bree. Bree? Yeah. Bree, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Grand Rapids, Michigan. Home of? Yeah. Home of, you can say it. Me. Home of you, that's right. Yeah. yeah. What's going on, Bree? You know, home of me and all my friends. I know you and all your friends, or it's the home of you and all your friends. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow, I'm so glad to have caught you um, on the cusp of the next hour that you're um, winding down. Yeah, well, you got you got through. Do uh, you have something for the topic? Do you have a sequel that we can do? Um. Well, I was wondering, are you are you strictly um, uh, like keeping it to like? Movies and TV shows and that. They, Bree, um, Bree, we can talk of whatever you want to do is what we're going to do. Okay. Well, what about life? Like, you know, like, what do you, what do you think like heaven looks like? What do I think heaven looks like? That's a good question. That's a sequel to life. A sequel to life would be the afterlife. So it'd be like the way they had the show MASH and then they had a show called After MASH. Mm-hmm. So it would be the afterlife. I think the afterlife would be a lot like a, like a being at a Barnes and Noble. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. You know, Grace Jones did a really cool photo shoot at Barnes and Noble once where she was just barely wearing nothing. And it was really interesting um, because it felt very out of place, but it was, um, something I aspire to be. So maybe someday I kind of think of heaven, like as it were Switzerland or my own life, but um, a little different, a little different. How I haven't thought that far. I probably would have a better sleep schedule. Mm-hmm. And, um, hmm. and I, um, 
wouldn't, I could sleep in, but still go to sleep early. Sure. Well, that sounds like a good version of heaven. Wait, are you asking me about heaven? Do you know something I don't know? I, I don't think that I know anything more than anybody else. I'm just very normal. Sure. How is your, how is your December going, Bree? How are, how are you handling things? It's all right. I'm not, I'm out of work. I'm just hanging out. I like writing a lot too. And, okay. um, you know, it's pretty topical this evening. It was very cool to hear, um, the discussion earlier. Um, so yeah, I like writing. I miss work though. And I have a dog and we're hanging out a lot. Her name is Pashmina. And I think that the best American band is the Beach Boys. And I listen to them in December most of all probably. What do you think? All right. That's a good, that's a good one. Beach Boys are a good one. Pashmina is a good dog name. Mm-hmm. Bree, I'm going to sign off on everything you said. Home run. Oh, how am I doing? You, how are you doing? You did it. You did a, you did a great job. Great call. Oh my gosh. Are we done already? I think we might be. I got all the lines lit up. Yeah. I want everybody to be able to get through. Yeah, I understand. It's important to share time with others. Sure. But you can call back any week. Oh yeah, I'll try again sometime, you know. Okay. My friends, it was my, is my first time listening to the best show and I found out you could call in and I said, I'm gonna call in and so I went back to my room because I live with my friends and then I said, I'll be back, but I don't think they knew that I was going to be back like this. And no. I'm going to walk into that room right about now, and I'm going to tell them I told you. I told That's you. It. Go tell them you told them. You see, what did I say? I did it. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so All much. Right. All right. Thanks so much. You have a great night. Thank you, too. Bye. Bye. All right. Give me uh, another call, Pat. Another call. Hello? Hello. Hi. Welcome to the best show. Who's this? Hey, Tom. This is Joseph from Manhattan. How are you doing tonight? Good. Joseph from Manhattan. What part of Manhattan? Uh, all the way up in Inwood. Okay. Where's that? Uh, it's around like 190th, 191st. It's a little bit north of Washington Heights. Okay. Uh, and how are you doing? How are you? How are you coping? Oh, hanging in there, just uh, trying to get through this last uh, full work week before I can take some days off for the holidays, which I'm very lucky to do, and uh, just looking forward to that. Are the pre- are the Predamangers holding up, or how are they doing during this quarantine? Uh, I haven't been south of say 180th Street in months, and there aren't any there, but. Uh, just knowing the uh, city spirit, I would assume that they're doing okay. Do you enjoy Pret a Manger? You like to walk in and then you get, get something? Is that is that is that the way you do it, or you you look down on stuff like that? Oh no, no, no! I like that. When I uh, when I used to take the trains from Penn Station, and when I'll take them again, it was nice to just grab a sandwich there at the last second before uh, the train left. Yeah. 
I love it. Yeah, that one, uh, that one Pret a Manger in Penn Station. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, so, uh, what do you got for me tonight, my friend? Well, Tom, I had a sequel idea. Okay. It's uh, based on a terrible movie. Sometimes terrible movies. There are at least uh, one or two elements that uh, really stick out as something that sticks out. Uh, something sticks out as exceptional in your mind. And uh, I'm picking the terrible movie from 1989, uh, No Holes Barred, starring Hulk Hogan. And my idea was uh, throughout this movie, Hulk Hogan played pretty much himself under the name Rip. And uh, Rip was a wrestling champion, but instead of being really contracted to a wrestling company, he was contracted to uh, a television network. Uh, and in walks another television network's executive, uh, the evil Mr. Brell, who was played by the great character actor Kurt Fuller. And uh, he had seen headlines about how great that Hulk Hogan's character Rip was, and he decided he needed to have him for his network, and uh, he even had a few meetings with Rip. And uh, this was just a terrible movie, as Hulk Hogan was the star in it. But this one character, Mr. Brell, uh, the actor, Kurt Fuller, realized uh, the movie he was making and just played it over the top as much as he could. And just uh, every, every sentence full of hatred and uh, spit and vitriol. And uh, it was just hilarious. And eventually he would... Uh, challenge Hulk Hogan with his own monster wrestler played by the, uh, the late, uh, great tiny Lister who died last week. And, uh, this was a terrible movie, but I wanted to do a spinoff based on this one character, Mr. Brell, and to see how after he met his defeat at the end of this episode, uh, he sought revenge on Hulk Hogan. Uh, I would think that because he had resources as being such a powerful television executive, he had money and was able to afford a time machine that was able to go forth in the future. And then as this character Hulk Hogan played was so close to Hulk Hogan in real life, he'd be able to see all the horrible things that Hulk Hogan ended up doing, uh, such as the sex tape, the racism, and the, uh, the automobile accident that he had provided his son the beer for. Caller, I'm so sorry to uh, do this. This is Pat in the studio, and we just temporarily lost Tom via our connection. So uh, stand by, and we will try to patch him through. I'm sorry you just did that whole story about this. And no, it was a great story. If you if you have more details, we could hear more details while we bring Tom back into the fold here. Uh, oh, really? What this is is. Uh the uh, character played by Kurt Fuller. Back. Yes, you are back. We're back. Oh, yes, I believe so. Uh, what's the last thing that you heard? What is that audio? Uh, it happens at times. Tom, can you hear the caller? Hello. Hey, can you hear us? I can. Can, can you hear, hear the caller? Try talking, caller. Let me see. Caller? Uh, can you hear me? I heard that. It's. Let me see. Okay, talk now. 
Hello, this is Joseph from Manhattan. Hey, Joseph, how are you? Sorry about that. Oh, that's quite all right. A little technical uh, difficulty. Uh, no problem whatsoever. I understand it. Having to be on these uh, Zoom calls all the time, I know they um, drop in and out all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. What's the last thing that you heard me say? Uh, you were talking about, I don't know, it just started making sounds, and then it was gone. <laughs> okay, uh, very quickly, I wanted a sequel based on the one good element in the terrible Hulk Hogan movie from 1989, No Holds Barred. It was an sure. uh, television executive played by the great character actor Kurt Fuller. And, yes, uh, the great Kurt Fuller who played Mr. Mr. Brell or Krell, right? Yeah. Brell, that's right, yes. Mr. Brell, I remember I've seen that movie more times than a good movie that I should. I've seen No Holds Barred so many times. The Hulk Hogan wrestling movie where he plays Rip Randolph. I think he's Rip Thomas. Rick Thomas? Uh, Rip, Rip Thomas, yes. Rip him. Rip Thomas, are we sure? Uh, you know, I could be wrong, but uh, when Tiny Lister died last week, I... I I went back and I watched it. And, uh, well, Randolph, uh, his brother's name was Randy. That's probably, that might be what you're thinking of. Okay. Well, let's see. Now I have to check. Randy Randolph. It just says rip on, uh, IMDb. We're not going to worry about it. And also, yes, the passing of, uh, Tiny Lister. It was a great, funny actor and, uh, it's very sad. Um, so what's the sequel? This is a spinoff of uh, Mr. Brell, because at the end of No Holds Barred, as you know, there's that scene where Mr. Brell uh, starts ripping out the controls in the television control room because he doesn't want, I suppose, the worldwide audience to see Hulk Hogan's rip uh, beating his guy, Tony Lister, Zeus. And uh, because of him ripping out the controls, he gets electrocuted, and we assume that he's dead. So in the sequel, he's not dead. He uh, lives and he wants revenge on Hulk Hogan's character. And uh, as he has resources as a powerful television executive, I don't know, maybe he obtains access to some time travel and is able to go forward. And since the Rip character was so close to Hulk Hogan's character, he would be able to find out the horrible things that Hulk Hogan did uh, in real life in the future, such as the racism, the sex tape, uh, you name it. And then he'd be able to bring down the Rip or Hulk Hogan character, therefore finally uh, gained some measure of revenge since uh, Rick turned him down from joining the network. Well, my friend, I got to say, you just, that's a game changer. You added time travel into no the whole, the no holds barred universe now has time travel as an element of it, which is, that's an impressive conceit. And you've made Hulk Hogan and Rip are one and the same. I gotta say, five stars. They pretty much are one and the same. I just want some redemption, Tom, because this, uh, this man, Hulk Hogan, this was my childhood hero. And, uh, you know, maybe I had blinders on, but I felt so betrayed when the, uh, the racist comments came out that, uh, 
I don't know, as many years to work back of the debt of this man being my childhood hero. And I just, uh, I know it would be nice to have Mr. Brell have revenge on him. Who would have thought that Hulk Hogan would turn out to be weird trash? Who could have seen that? None of us. Most people could have, but as a little kid, you know, and having those glasses on. Yes. Like a superhero to me. Mm-hmm. Well, you got your revenge tonight. <laughs> right, well, thanks for the call, buddy. Thanks so much. Okay. Pay up. Best show. Hey, Tom, it's uh, David from D.C. David from D.C. What's up, David? Not too much. I got uh, a sequel for the topic. What do you got? So I've, I've actually I've thought this through uh, a few times in the past because I always come back to this movie because it's one of my favorite movies. But uh, the what would a sequel to uh, my favorite movie, Boogie Nights, look like? And mm-hmm. I have kind of two scenarios, I think. I, I could, you know, if, if PTA wanted to take it down that path. Okay, yeah, you could. Yeah, I, I, pre, I, I, I like that you're showing the respect for him and uh, and uh, allowing him to to, to uh, consider your sequel ideas to his idea. If if I were to propose it to him, and sure. obviously, if he wanted to take a break from uh, the whatever the Bradley Cooper thing coming up is. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Give me the give me the deets. What do you got for your boogie night sequel? So I think you know there's kind of two paths I could see. One would be, you know, the future of Dirk Diggler, you know, going into the, you know further into the 80s to the 90s, and um, I I kind of thought about. I mean, the, the last caller was talking about Hulk Hogan, so I'll bring up another disgusting person that kind of inspires my thought, but you know, kind of taking like, you know, what if he took, you know, kind of the Ron Jeremy path where he's trying to be in like more mainstream movies and making appearances and like, you know, B-list movies in the nineties. Sure. Uh, you know, Being kind of just kind of, like a, like a, like a, a funny, a funny character would pop up in one scene of like married with children. Exactly. Right. I mean, you know, if he, you know, and then, you know, maybe eventually he takes the reality show route, you know, he does the surreal life and those types of things. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of, yeah, kind of maybe playing up a comedic, you know, you know, goofy appearance side. Okay. Uh, um, and then the other, you know, the, the other path would be, and, you know, the movie kind of takes it in this direction, I guess, already. But with the other guys, you know, what, what do they do when they're, you know, leaving the industry and, you know, like with, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Don Cheadle's character, you know, what, what happens when Luis Guzman, you know, leaves the industry and tries to find, you know, normal mm. work. Sure, sure. So you'd follow them through the eighties? Yeah, you know, maybe. Into the nineties? Yeah, maybe, you know, Luis Guzman, you know, tries to get into some sort of, you know, Wall Street type thing and, and, you know, tries to kind of build, I mean, may, maybe kind of reel that in with like a Wolf of Wall Street type thing where he tries to kind of make it big on Wall Street and then, you know, hiding his past identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, uh, I guess Julianne Moore's already 
doing other things in the movie, but, uh, or, you know, with, with Roller Girl, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of where are they now? Essentially. Sure. And you want more. You feel like you want more. You do, you need to see what happens to these characters. You, you feel that there are unanswered questions. I think, I think there's a, I mean, they kind of, I guess at the end of the movie show, you know, Julianne Moore's character is like directing and, uh, Don Cheadle has his business, but they're, they're, you know, I think one of the things I love about the movie is just kind of the, you know, more minor characters and, you know, what happens with Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, uh, what happens with Luis Guzman's character. I, I don't really remember them kind of exploring that. So I think there is a little bit of a, well, look, I got to say this. I think you and I have to get in a room with Paul Thomas Anderson and pitch him this. I, I would be honored. All right. I think there's, I think there's stories left to be told here. Studio set it up. And, and I don't know if Dudio can hear this, but actually I wanted to, uh, say Dudio's, I can't remember the, the W something, but his radio program stuff he's been doing is, I, I love it. So I don't know if he can hear that, but. No, I, I hope, I hope he didn't. I honestly, I hope he didn't hear him. <laughs> I did. Thank you very much. It's been keeping me entertained. <laughs> now, for people, Jason has been doing, uh, some, some radio shows, uh, like, uh, like he did, uh, cause he was a classic rock DJ in West Virginia and he's, yeah, he swore that if, uh, Joe Biden won, is that what it was? Yeah. If Joe Biden took, uh, Georgia and Pennsylvania, I would do a classic rock show again. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, the first one was so much fun. I did a second one. But he, so. but he didn't take those states. <laughs> that is, that is true. I mean, we'll find out more on January 6th, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know how much more you need to find out, but, uh, when the real electors show, the real electors show. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very healthy version of the planet right now with <laughs> people still digging in on a strange alternate reality that is immediately disprovable and but they are fully committed to believing every part of how things aren't it's great we got another call hello best show this is Zippy from parts unknown that's right, Zippy from Parts, and that's when we rebranded. Uh, was one of the people that got rebranded as a because he was because he was a snooze, and then now he's yeah. exciting. What was your pre? What was your previous uh, caller name? My name is my name was Cody. Cody from where? Massachusetts, Massachusetts. From Massachusetts, and you got rebranded as Zippy from Parts Unknown. Yeah, I've, I've kept it. It's. It's really caught on. I love it. So, Zippy, what do you got for me? So, I've got a sequel idea. I don't have it all completely fleshed out yet. I was kind of hoping we could workshop it. It's it's for E.T. Okay. You remember last year when they had that holiday commercial for Xfinity when they brought back E.T. and Elliot? I don't know. I don't know that commercial. That's okay. I just wanted to see. But... I, I bought a VHS of E.T. recently, and it was just in front of me when I saw what the topic was going to be. So I thought, 
the sequel could be E.T. 2, or just called E.T.C., or et cetera. I like that. I like that. So what, what do you think would happen in an E.T. sequel? Home Planet? Home Planet. I've been on the E.T. ride in Universal, Studio, Universal Studios. It uh, really brought that home, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, a, a multiverse-type scenario, like maybe Ready Player One-ish. Sure. What if we spice it up a little bit and keep it in the Spielberg world where E.T. E.T. fights the gremlins? Is there water on E.T.'s planet? Well, E.T. and no, E.T. comes back to Earth and he helps uh, Gizmo and then E.T. and Gizmo fight the gremlins. E.T. 2, Gremlins 3. Is what it, that would it, what it would be? Lewis Batch? Uh, no, no, no. We don't. What would the Gremlin subtitle be? I don't know. ETC is probably the title, etc. ETC Gremlin. ETC Gremlins Three. <laughs> Perfect. I Man. like it. I like it, and I'm glad you. I'm glad you're. Uh, how much you pay for that VHS copy of ET? Let me see if I can guess. Eight ninety nine. How much? Oh, sorry. Eight ninety nine. Eight ninety nine. What? What are we? Uh, you got a Rockefeller here on the line? Eight <laughs> hundred? No, no. Eight dollars ninety nine cents. Oh no, I knew that. I'm just saying it's also a VHS of ET. You're still, <laughs> you're still throwing around nine bucks on that. Hey, it was worth it for this reboot idea. I mean, oh, I'm not saying it wasn't worth it. I'm just saying you're you're living a fancy life. You got the the ET VHS tape. You got your uh, your gray poupon out. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, thank you, Zippy, for the call. I appreciate it. You're so welcome. Thank you for. The- there we go. I love it. Thank you for the what. I'm learning, Tom. Yeah, I love it, Pat. We got another call. Best show, hi. Hello. Hello, welcome to the best show. Hi, sorry, I had you on speaker. Oh, that's okay. Who's this? Uh, Simon from Ontario. Simon from, from Ontario? Yes. How are things in Ontario right now? They're all right. Cold? Too bad. Uh, yeah, we got some of that. All right. So what do you got for me, uh, my friend? Yeah, so I'm pitching a sequel. It was, uh, the original movie was Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Sure. And basically I'm pitching a, uh, an anthology movie series in which we pit different, uh, American presidents against different, uh, mythological creatures. Okay. And the specific one I'm having Teddy Roosevelt fight Bigfoot. So you wanna, you want historical figures fighting uh, mythical creatures. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And you want Teddy Roosevelt to fight Bigfoot. Bigfoot, yeah. Okay. And who do you want to win? Do the, do the humans win every one of the fights? Well, we can mix it up, but basically, and the, the, the script's still loose on this. I only have, I want him to have two quotes. I want him to say, I want him to get thrown against the tree by the Bigfoot, and it looks like maybe he's down, but then he says, speak softly and carry a big stick. And then he picks up a stick and gets back in the fight. Sure. Say it takes more than that to kill a bull moose. And that's the only two lines I want to say. All right. Well, look, you got to start with the poster. A lot of times that's what they say. Start with the poster. And that's what you're doing. You're starting with the poster. 
Mm-hmm. And that sounds like, it sounds maybe not as good as Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, but that's fine. I have another. We, we could do uh, JFK. And who would JFK square off against? Well, the movie title would be JFK colon Ghost Protocol. It's the ghost of JFK. So JFK fights his own ghost? No, he fights other ghosts as a ghost. So the ghost of JFK, well, you have to also realize Teddy Roosevelt is a ghost as well. They're all ghosts. Yeah, but he was, he was taken in his time. Sure. So you want the ghost of JFK to fight other, like what, an evil ghost? Yeah, and perhaps he, uh, he comes back in later, in later movies. He, uh, he assists other presidents. Okay. Okay. I like it. Look, I think you're on to something, my friend. <laughs> see, see if you can get one of those uh, ca- Canadian film grants. <laughs> yeah, they don't do those anymore. They <laughs> don't? I don't think so. That was when we had money. Yeah. Back then we had cash and hope. Yep. Now we have just... A whole lot of nothing. All, All right. right. Thanks for the call, my friend. Bye. Bye. Any other calls, Pat? How many other calls we got? I told these last two to make it quick. That's right. Thank you. Pat, you, I tell you, Pat, you couldn't be doing it more right. Best show. The Natural Part 2. The Natural Part 2. <laughs> yeah. Well, who's this? First of all, you sound like you sound like somebody who's a little. You sound a little comfortable, and it, that throws me a little bit. <laughs> it's Pat from Philly. We, we don't know each other, but we have loose affiliations, kind of. Okay. Well, Pat, you want to do the natural two? What happens in the natural two? I don't even know why I think this is funny. I, I've just been. I've been listening to the show. Welcome back. It's great to have you. Thank and you. Uh, and I just keep thinking of the natural part two. We bring back Robert Redford. Uh, bring back Duvall and they strip, maybe they strip his world series away because there was a gambling issue. So he mm-hmm. didn't have his title and now we've got to come back again. He's got to do it all over again. Roy Hobbs has to do it all over again. <laughs> right. Well, why doesn't he just sign with the Phillies? Why don't you do that? Natural two Philly style. Right. Philly style. With, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Gritty could make an appearance and Gritty could maybe fight the Fanatic or something like that. Why would Gritty fight the Fanatic? I think Gritty, because he could be Gritty, Tom. You, you, these Gritty fans, that's a weird lot, I gotta tell you. You you, you, It makes you anti, I mean, you're, you're from Philly. You're from Philly and you're anti-Fanatic? No, I like the Fanatic just fine. But you love gritty. Well, I like gritty, but I mean, I would, I would, I would pick the fanatic. Like if I had to invite one person to a party, it'd be the fanatic just because of, you know, he's put the time in. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I just want. Just as long as you have respect for, they get all these people. They just, these, 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 uh, these newcomers and they're just like, Oh yeah. The, the Philly fanatic sucks. Gritty rules. It's like, there's room for both. 
that's not fair. I will say when Gritty first came on, I was just like, I don't know. But then a day later, I was like, okay, I'm into Gritty. Like, you have to kind of be into Gritty, right, Tom? It's pretty good. I mean, look, I get the appeal. I, I mean, I get the appeal. With the, people could have tur- just as easily turned on Gritty as they embraced Gritty. Sure. We've said Gritty a lot. The, 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 the Nets had mascots and they ran out. They ran him out of town. They ran out those mascots. They were gritty quality. I mean, is there anything funnier than Mr. Met? Yeah, with the that, giant baseball head. With that baseball head. Yeah. And the little hat on it. Mm-hmm. He's got the little hat on. Yeah. All right, buddy. I like the call. I like the cut of your jib. Have a great night. Okay. Final call. Uh, I thought that one for the topic. Uh, who's this? Uh, this is Woody in Rochester, New York. Woody in Rochester, New York. What's going on tonight, Woody? Uh, not so much as doing some painting. Whoa, what are you painting? Uh, I, uh, my, uh, the, my job, we're moving into a new space and we're, uh, it's kind of a crunch. It was an opportunity to move into a bigger a space. Crunch? You moved into a crunch fitness? Yeah, we moved into a crunch fitness and, uh, <laughs> we gotta get all the logos off and all that kind of stuff because it's not sure. like a deal, you know, yeah. No, I got you, I got you. So, uh, well, what can I do for you, Chief? I got one for the topic, Tom. Uh, I got a, a sequel to the movie The Conversation. The the Francis Ford Coppola movie The Conversation starring Gene Hackman. Yeah. Uh and if you remember in the conversation, Gene Hackman is a uh is a saxophone player in addition to being a surveillance expert. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking like you know, after the sequel would be that it's now it's later on in the seventies and he really gets into the burgeoning like punk scene and he starts like a, like a punk band where he's like the punk saxophone player. I like, you know, like x-ray specs, like that kind of thing. Sure. No, he's, he's, he, so he, so ha- what's his name? Harry, Harry call, Harry call starts playing saxophone for different Bay area punk bands. Right. Right. Like, what do you picture him getting up and playing with the, like, who would he play with? Dead Kennedys? He could play with Dead Kennedys. I mean, sure. I mean, Holiday in Cambodia, that's begging for some, some sweet sax licks, I think. I gotta say. What's your name again? Curly? What is it again? <laughs> it's Woody. Woody. Um, Woody, that's a great idea. He just pops in. He's just like, he's just like that weird old guy in the punk band that nobody knows where they came from. Yeah. Trench coat. Yeah. Oh, trench coat for sure. Old trench coats rolling in. People are just like, what's <laughs> trench coat up to? <laughs> but he won't say, he won't even tell us where he lives. He's really paranoid. Yeah. No. We always records the shows though. Oh yeah. Oh no. Yeah. He's got, <laughs> he's got some amazing, amazing yeah. real, real technology. Yeah. Like maybe that's where it starts. Conversation two. He's just like at a punk show, and he's like a he's like a taper. He's in the audience taping the show. Oh yeah, he's got a very bulky trench coat. 
Yeah. Got his equipment in there. Yeah, and somebody's like, you taping our show, man? Like, who's that guy with a parabolic mic? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the back of the club in a trench coat. Well, Skippy, I got to say, you just cracked it open. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking my call so late. Have a grand evening. Have a grand evening. You uh, do. I got to end it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Any uh, Pat, anything? That's it? That's it for calls. We're well, good. locked. Good. That we're locked, and I, we did it. And another one's in the book, and I thank all of you for listening, and we'll be back with another show next week. Hopefully some surprises for you next week. And I say to you, good night. And I'll play a little something as we head on out, and we'll see you next week. Thanks to Forever Dog and to Brett for all the help. And thanks to Jason and Pat, and we'll be back next week. So sit back for six hours and 26 days and 21 hours and don't move and we'll be back. Thanks for listening. I don't even have anything queued up to play. I'm just saying good night. Good night. <laughs>